There can be pain when there's no damage. There can also be damage without pain. So that it's not, it's not a one-to-one correlation. We often think, part of why I like to talk about this is that it can be empowering to patients because a lot of times they think, oh, this hurts, it's broken. I'm going to need this brace or this surgery or have to take these anti-inflammatories forever. But there's more to it. There's more to the story. Uh, there's a famous orthopedic surgeon named James Andrews. And so he talked to me, he said, if you want to do surgery, get an MRI or something like that, because you'll almost always be able to find something to justify doing surgery. Oh man, you guys are in for a treat today. You know, I'm all about solving problems as fast as possible with the least amount of effort. And this show is about just that. This is episode 458, The Future of Fitness, Electrical Stimulation and Neurophysical Therapy with New Fit's Garrett Salpeter. You will find the show notes, links, and written transcripts for this bad boy at lukestory.com slash Garrett. Our guest Garrett is an engineer and a neuroscientist, and he started his company New Fit back in 2009 and has not looked back since. And I got to say, Garrett's not only super bright and inventive, he's also just the sweetest dude and someone with whom I really enjoyed talking. And as you're about to find out, I am obsessed with this device he created called the Newbie, and that's why I had to get him on the mic to spread the good word. And I have a pretty strong feeling that you'll be glad I did. Here's a little sample of some of the cool stuff we riff on. How Garrett created the new fit technology, direct current therapy, and how it differs from a TENS unit, why we each experience pain differently, how the nervous system both causes and prevents pain, the true risks and benefits of diagnostics like MRI and X-ray, his invention, the newbie, and how it alleviates pain and heals underlying injuries, the magic of the new fit method and book, using different frequencies for different body parts, how the newbie foot bath balances the parasympathetic nervous system, how their rehab application differs from their fitness protocol, how athletes use the newbie for peak performance, and finally, how the newbie grows muscles without weights. It's pretty wild stuff. If you're someone who's dealing with any of the following challenges, I highly recommend you give this one a full attention listen. Plantar fasciitis, ankle sprain, shin splints, knee ligament injury, hamstring strain, pulled groin, strained quad or hip flexor, back pain, neck pain, rotator cuff injury, shoulder impingement, tennis elbow, carpal tunnel, arthritis, swelling and lymphedema, recovery from orthopedic surgery, and just about anything you can imagine in these categories of pain and injury. So as you can see, we cover a lot in this episode. Now, I'll put this link in the show notes on the podcast app as well, but for people who want a newbie at home like me, or if you're a pro practitioner that wants to integrate this into your practice, here is a deal for you. NewFit is offering $1,000 off a newbie for lifestylist listeners. To find out all the info on this, or maybe even find a practitioner in your area, if you're in the U.S., the link for both is new.fit slash Luke. That's N-E-U dot F-I-T slash Luke. All right, that's enough out of me. Let's open the show to the guy you really need to hear from, Dr. Garrett Saltpeter. Enjoy the show and share it with a friend in need of some support. So Garrett, you're known as the health engineer. What's that mean? Well, I was fortunate enough to find a way to take my, my academic training in engineering and funnel it into an area that I'm super passionate about and that I, I love. So my training both is, is engineering and neuroscience. And I think this is a great way to, to blend those. 
Oh, that's interesting because that's exactly what you did with your, your new fit technology, right? Is because it's based on the nervous system, which we're going to learn about, mm-hmm. hence the neurology. But then also you got to understand engineering to put this together and not electrocute someone, <laughs> basically. Tell me, I guess I want to start at the journey of how did you first create this? Like I'm always interested in, you know, like that show, How It's Made, I think it's called or something. Like I love that. So you're, say you're in school studying engineering or you get out. At what point did you start to hire someone to actually build you a device? What, what was the initial kind of um, test unit you had or prototype? Well, the, the initial catalyst was really an experience I had back when I was playing ice hockey in college where I had some torn ligaments. I was told I would need surgery and I was going to be out for three or four months. And I met a doctor who was, was doing functional neurology and using an older version at the time, but using direct current. And he was the first one to show me that the nervous system is important. The neurological response to injury and trauma oftentimes delays or impairs or blocks the healing process or, or you know, slows it down and, and just leads to, leads to poor outcomes overall. The neuro, how the nervous system can be guarding, protecting, inhibiting, shutting down muscles in the area. Um, you know, in some ways, that could mean it's just cutting off blood flow and Im- impairing the body's ability to send the nutrients and raw materials there to rebuild, for example. So, so learning that and then seeing firsthand the power of direct current and how creating a direct electric field and this, this electric field gradient can help to orient and accelerate the cells that control healing and regeneration of bone and muscle connective tissue and nerves. For me, it was connective tissue and my ligaments. But I saw that the going through that, that experience, my ligaments healed on their own in two and a half weeks. I avoided surgery altogether. And for me, it was this amazing experience for two reasons. The first is that I was able to avoid surgery and, and play hockey again sooner. So it was wonderful in that regard. But even, even more meaningful now is that because I was, I was a physics major at the time, you know, pre-engineering, set to go to graduate school for engineering, for me to find a treatment paradigm or approach that made sense from first principles, looking at it from an engineering scientific perspective, that to me was the biggest aha moment, the most wonderful you know, discovery experience and Going through that, I just felt called to share this work with as many people as I could. And so I came here to Austin uh, about 15 years ago for graduate school in engineering. And while I was here, I, I was really passionate about this, this work and ended up working with the chiropractor for the University of Texas football team. And he had a private practice in town here. So I got 150 square feet in his office and started using older versions of direct current. And we're working with him and, and treating people for various injuries. In the beginning, it was mostly athletes like me, helping them heal faster. But we started getting these really wonderful outcomes and it was growing. And I kept seeing over, over those first six, seven, eight years, kept seeing things I wanted the technology to be able to do, ways that I wanted to make it better. And so my engineering mind was, was kind of going in the, in the background. I ended up, because I was passionate about the work, I ended up going back to graduate school in neuroscience too. But throughout all this, looking at it as an, as an engineer was you know, had some challenges because I had a lot of learning to do, but also was a real blessing. And it, it allowed me to look at problems related to health and musculoskeletal issues, I think in a, in a, you know, new, unique and effective way, but also helped me see opportunities to make these breakthroughs in technology. And so eventually, you know, after those seven or eight years, finally just said, you know what, 
uh, I, don't think, I don't think anyone else is going to do this. I need to do it myself. And so then I got some more sophisticated electrical engineers, started prototyping. At the time, I'm kind of glad I didn't, didn't know quite how long and how expensive and how challenging the process was going to be because I may not, have, may not have done it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can only imagine. But uh, I'm you know, so grateful that I, that I did. And now it's, you know, now it's been five years since we got the FDA clearance and launched the, the newbie. Oh, only that long. I guess that's around the time I met you the first time. I think it would, would have been probably at Paleo Effects or the Bulletproof Conference or something. Probably the, like 2018 yeah. Bulletproof. Yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you're, you're pretty new on the scene in terms of like what you're doing with this company now. Yeah. Yeah. So we just crossed over five years and it's, you know, it's very cool to see that, you know, we've been able to certify a few thousand physical therapists, chiropractors, athletic trainers, and other professionals. Yeah. I was looking at your site today, um, actually doing my homework and it says that new fit is used by 250 practices slash clinics, a thousand certified practitioners, six universities, and 13 pro sports teams. Now that's pretty badass in five years. That's right. Well, we we got to <laughs> update the numbers. We've crossed it's over over two thousand certified practice. I don't know what the exact number is. But, okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at uh, the first major league baseball team to to work with it was the Washington Nationals, and they got it. They, so they were the first team. They got one in uh, early twenty nineteen, just before the season started. They ended up getting a second one during that season because the players were fighting over it. Their general manager wanted to get treated. And the players were using it, so he said, "You know what? Let's let's get another one." And so they ended up going on and winning the World Series that year. Oh no way! And so I got I got. I to know it. nothing about sports, <laughs> so I wouldn't even know that. You could like make up a fake baseball team, and I wouldn't know. <laughs> but they won. That's pretty badass. It was it was cool. And then uh, one of the players on that team who who contributed in a major way in the World Series is a guy named Anthony Rendon, and so he uh, he very graciously wrote a uh, endorsement or a, you know a. a I don't know, a blurb for, for the, for my, for my book. Oh, cool. And he talks about how he had uh, back pain that would cause him to miss games, you know, many, many seasons. And it was coming back on towards the end of the regular season. And in his first session, his athletic trainer, who's a, a w- wonderful guy, you know, he came and spent a, a day or two with us here in Austin, learned everything and, and was just fabulous, a real, real leader in the sports medicine space. And so he did the, the, the mapping process and found where, his, where he had some of that neurological guarding protection, you know, from, from fatigue, from trauma, from bad habits, from the rigors of a long baseball season. And in one session, he noticed significant relief in his back. And so he started using it every day for just like two or three minutes to, to warm up, prime his muscles, activate before games. And he was able to play through when he was afraid he was going to be missing games. He was able to play through the, the playoffs, the World Series. He felt great. He went out. He had a home run in game seven. He had a couple during the World Series and help them win and just it was this this wonderful thing so i got you know That's got to connect cool. with it really is a wonderful guy too got to connect with him and, and some of the other players and staff and everything it's, it's it's been fun how you know it goes in all these different directions you don't necessarily anticipate yeah i love it i love it it's it's fun for me as a as a fan of you know all of these brands and people that i interview it's really cool for me especially when i see someone at the inception of launching a company or some you know wacky biohacking device and have them on the podcast or they're on other podcasts and then I see them start to scale and awareness and then you know an athlete gets a hold of it or a celebrity or something next thing you know it's like they're in the game you know it's it's really cool so congratulations uh back to the inception I'm always curious when somebody 
when I meet someone and they have a very sophisticated, elegant technology like you have here, I mean, I have this thing here in the house. Alice and I are obsessed with it now that we have one. Um, it's, it's beautifully designed. Everything works perfectly. It's just a really great piece of equipment. And what I'm always curious about was, was there a stage when like one of the engineers you hired was building it in his garage and it was real crude and ugly and didn't have the functionality and the, and the sophistication that this has? Were there like a number of different versions of it before this? You know, part of why and how I was able to get the product launched was a series of wonderful serendipities, which I think is a sign that somehow I was on the right path. And so we had a client, a patient in our office who owns real estate and leased it, leased some of it to an engineering firm here in Austin. So we started working with them and I went to their office and they were doing all these sophisticated, I don't know if some of it's probably confidential, like military. They were doing this thing where it could detect different, different molecules, different scents in the air, like 200 of them. And it could tell you you know, it was like if there were any explosives around, but it could detect other. Oh, wow. So for them, when I showed them this, they were like, oh yeah, that's, that's fairly easy compared to some of the other stuff that they're doing. So, so we, yeah, the first one was just like a little, looked like a little chipboard. And, you know, it was, then it was run by a computer with wires going to it just to make sure we could get the signal out of it. Um, so there was no case, no user interface was just a couple buttons on a, on a computer screen. So it was that. And then there was a process of trying to find and enclosure and, and get, you know, get the plastic pieces and the industrial design and stuff like that. So it's definitely iterative, not necessarily in a garage because with an FDA product, there's a lot of, a lot <laughs> yeah. of, you know, a lot of guidelines. If you're running electricity you through, things. yeah, if you're running electricity through people's bodies, probably can't just wing it, you know? That's right. That's right. So there's a lot, a lot of procedures, you know, design and verification and validation. Right. Um, but it was, it's, it's a team effort. I mean, electrical, mechanical, industrial design, user, you know, people who have real expertise and user experience. Then there's a process, a really fascinating process of actually putting it in front of users and saying like, you know, okay, can you figure out how to use this? You know, what feedback do you have? Is any of this clunky or not intuitive or difficult to understand? And so you make some iterative changes like that too. Cool. Cool. I guess, tell us about the define direct current therapy. So direct current means that the electric field or the flow of electrons is is going in one direction and the contrast to that is alternating current so there's this you know historical battle between edison and westinghouse and tesla's involved this 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 battle over should we use alternating current or direct current in our electrical grid and alternating current won out for a variety of reasons there but in our bodies we we exist on direct current and there's there's a couple ways to think about it one one kind of image or way to think about it is to to think of a highway. So if you're on if you're on a highway, you have a northbound lane and you have a southbound lane and cars don't travel south in the northbound lane or vice versa. So they're only going in one direction in the appropriate direction on that pathway. And and just like that, we have pathways in our body from the brain down to the body where the brain transmits signals to to turn on or or off or up or down regulate muscles and organs and different different tissues in the body. And then we have pathways that go from the body up to the, up to the spinal cord into the brain to report what's going on. And those are direct current pathways. And so just conceptually, there's some value proposition there, I think, for using direct current. But where it really, where it really comes into play is, is two effects, one being more structural and one being more functional. Structurally, I mentioned this a little bit when I, when I talked about 
this this doctor who was doing functional neurology using direct current about how the direct current electric field gradient has been shown in a variety of animal models to help orient and accelerate the function of, of osteoblasts, myoblasts, fibroblasts. And what that means is those are cells that control the healing and regeneration of bone, muscle, connective tissue, these different tissues or different structures that can be damaged that would need to heal or regenerate. Uh, nerves also, we're doing some really cool work with neuropathy patients and seeing some regeneration of nerves. So we, you know, we believe there's an effect there working to, to quantify the outcomes there. And the, so this is, there's, that, there's that structural component. There's also a functional component. I think this is what we're really better known for because the, the physical therapists, the chiropractors, the other professionals that use this with their patients, what they often find is that 90% or more of patients notice, notice tangible progress in their first visit. They notice that it creates these wow moments for patients, which is, is great for them because it makes them want to, makes the patients want to continue to come in and complete their plan of care or, or refer their friends and family and colleagues or whatever it might be. And so, so they like that. But what's happening there, you know, if, if someone comes in with shoulder pain and they can't raise their arm past about here, and then in one session, their arm is up overhead, that is obviously, you know, in 10 minutes of actual work on the machine, their ligaments not healing. It's not, it's not going back together, right? So there's no real structural change there. What's happening is a functional change. What's happening is that their, their brain, because the brain is oriented towards survival and protection, their brain was limiting movement there as a protective mechanism. And there's, there's value in those protective mechanisms, but oftentimes they're set too conservatively because of bad habits, because of injuries, you can, you know, use it or lose it is a very real, real thing. And so those habits kind of contribute to this, but the, the cool thing that we're able to do with this direct current is in, this, in these cases, scan around on the body, do this mapping process where instead of alternating current where the signal is going back and forth, positive, negative, positive, negative, it's going to be causing muscle contractions, especially agonist, antagonist, co-contractions. Like if, you're, if your bicep and tricep were fighting against each other, like if you were driving your car, hitting the throttle and the brake pedal at the same time, resisting your own movements. With direct current, we're able to bypass certainly that agonist, antagonist, co-contraction. We're able to bypass actually a lot of the contraction overall and send a lot more neurological sensory input into the body, into the nervous system. So that allows us to do this mapping process so we can send these neurological signals to find where the nervous system is guarding, protecting, shutting down those muscles, where there's a hypersensitivity associated with pain. And once we find those, we're able to send these neurological inputs to make these functional changes very quickly. So the name for this would be neuromuscular re-education, re-educating or teaching the nervous system to function in a new way. And so, you know, like I said, over 90% of patients notice progress in their first session because of these neurological changes. So the direct current allows us to communicate more powerfully and more precisely with the nervous system. And that often leads to, you know, these, these kind of wow moments or these, these, this early progress. But if there's tissue damage, it also, the direct current, that influence there can help with the healing and, and some of that longer term tissue as well. And then one interesting thing, very closely related that, that often comes up is people, people say, well, is there any risk? Like, are you setting someone up for, for problems if, you are, if you're affecting these protective mechanisms or, or something like that? And that's a very good question because we have these protective mechanisms for a reason. You know, I mentioned our, our brain is oriented towards survival. Number one priority is to make sure we live to see tomorrow. And our brains are willing to sacrifice intellectual ability, 
you know, our ability to do math or, or have executive function. They're willing to sacrifice our ability to throw a baseball or jump high or run fast because our brains don't want us to exert too much energy, don't want us to, to move, to stretch too far, run too fast, create too much tension. We don't want to tear our tendons off our bones or risk of injury or, or risk that we might deplete ourselves of energy if there's a famine tomorrow. The very you know, deep survival-based parts of the brain. And so the, the survival and protection there of the brain, so interesting thing about this is that with those protective mechanisms, if there is real damage, like I mentioned this case where someone comes in with shoulder pain and they can only lift you know, to, to here 45 degrees or something, and then they're lifting up all the way overhead. In that case, the issue, there, there may have been some tissue damage, but there the limitation was more that functional response, that neurological response to injury and trauma. And then in the case where, you know what, it actually is more of a structural issue. It's less about the functional response. That's important, but it is more about the structure is compromised and there's a problem here. In those cases, we may, we'll do that treatment and they may only gain five degrees of range of motion or something like that. So we're not, we're not just overriding or hijacking anything. What we're doing is presenting that input and allowing the brain to recalibrate what an appropriate level really is. So there's almost a diagnostic component to it. You can tell by working with someone how much of their issue really is a structural problem, how much of it is more of a functional problem. And of course, you know, clinicians have to use their judgment. We don't want to be reckless. You know, if you need to get imaging done or if there's like a serious tear or something's fractured, use your clinical judgment and be responsible in those cases, of course. But this kind of quasi-diagnostic value of telling how structural or how functional the issue is, uh, is something that, that a lot of practitioners really, really like and use. It's also fascinating as the patient or client to do that mapping. And hopefully before we're done, if we, before we're done, if we have time, we can show the mapping here with the device. Um, people that are watching uh, on the video, you'll see we actually have the thing here because it lives right there in the hallway. <laughs> I mean, I haven't gotten into the deep therapy with it yet, which we'll talk about, but it is like a great cheat for me if my lower back hurts, which is unfortunately 90% of my life, five minutes on this and it's gone. You know, I haven't permanently healed it yet, but we'll talk about the, uh, the training. But when I first met you at these conferences, one of the things that I thought was so fascinating was uh, I'd ask you, okay, well, I got, you know, my shoulder hurts up here, like my rotator cuff, maybe I think you call it or whatever this is up here. Deltoid. No, it's like on the deltoid. And so I'd be like, yeah, it hurts right there. And then you would do the mapping with the little wet sponge thing. And you would find that the hot spot, the part that really got activated was like on my back, on my scapula or something. And it's just, it's connected to that and it's related to that, but it's actually the pain is coming from somewhere else or the root of it. I don't know how to explain it, right? You can, but as someone who's having the mapping done, that's really fascinating because it seems like very often where you're experiencing the pain is not actually where the dysfunction or the injury even is. Could you ex explain that? Like how, why is our body getting signals in the wrong place is what it seems like, you know? This, this is one it's of the like, if it's not my deltoid that's hurt, then why does it hurt there if it's this other thing, you know? This is one of the reasons that, that I really advocate for doing this mapping process because, you know, patients go through that experience. And like you said, you get on an area and it's like, whoa, you can, you can just really feel, you get that kind of visceral sensation. Like, yes, there's something there. I know we're not guessing, we're not poking and praying. We're, you know, there's, there's really, really something going on there. So there's a lot of value in that from that patient experience perspective, but also from a clinician's perspective, it allows 
It allows one to, to really find, get closer to the root cause of, of what's really going on so you can help people in a more meaningful way. And so I, I think a lot of people listening probably have heard of the concept of referred pain. You know, that's something that could be, could be going on here. But there's also, there's also this concept of, you know, if the, if the ankles or the hips are not working, uh, you know, are not as mobile or coordinated or, or strong, proficient as they need to be, a lot of times that causes issues in the knees, for example. And the, that's, that's because the mechanics are going to be off. The, you know, the feet, the feet, for example, are, I like to think of them as like a, like a megaphone where they, they amplify. So, you know, megaphone would amplify sound, feet amplify movement. So if your foot pronates or supinates, if it, if it you know, rotates two degrees, that might lead to four or five degrees of rotation of the, the tibia, seven, eight, nine degrees of, at the femur. So it's this magnified rotation going up going up the leg. And so the mechanics of the feet can have a profound effect on creating these, these torsions or malalignments, misalignments, imbalances in the knee, for example, there. So when we're, when we're going through this process here, we're finding those areas in your shoulder. We found some issues in some of the rotator cuff muscles and some of the stabilizers and movers of the scapula, the, the shoulder blade. And so there's a few different, few different things going on there. But one of the things that I like to, or one of the kind of metaphors or images that I like is to use is that if you're working at a restaurant and you do one shift and you're supposed to be able to go home, but someone else doesn't show up and you have to stay and work their shift, you're going to be feeling fatigued or you're going to be experiencing the pain as the person who's there working the second shift. But the problem is the person who didn't, didn't show up. That the root cause there is not the painful person. It's actually the person who didn't show up. So if, if a muscle isn't doing their job, sometimes another one is going to have to work double time, work that double shift. And in so doing, it will be kind of bracing, holding on, tugging and pulling on certain areas that can create misalignments that over time, you know, can lead to problems or can just, by creating tension, can, can reduce blood flow, can create hypersensitivity, something called C-fibers can be, can be activated and, and get issues there. So being able to go upstream and figure out what's not working in the first place, I think is very valuable. And anyone with clinical experience would probably agree with that where I think we're adding something is finding is a way to identify those areas, going through this mapping process to really identify where that guarding, that inhibition, where those hypersensitivities are that lead to issues with movement, but also even hypersensitivities and perception of threat in the nervous system that lead to chronic pain, even pain that, that lingers long after an injury has healed and being able to help those people because chronic pain can be debilitating. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> I've had a lot of it in my life. I have a good life. I'm really healthy, but I would say pain is like one of the things. That's why when I found, you know, your technology, I was like, I got to, <laughs> this has to be in my life. But I, I like what you're saying here because I think that we often take a very mechanistic view of the body, right? We have a problem with our knee. We think, oh, I need to fix the knee, right? Rather than viewing the, the body as a whole system that wants to work with us, that wants to be in cooperation and understanding these compensation patterns, I think is really helpful. And then of course, being able to run the diagnostics and like actually get feedback from the body in the way that you've created. But this is something that took me a long time to start to understand that the lower back pain I had for 20 years turns out is very likely caused by a lack of mobility in my hip. And so the hip has got to move, but it doesn't want to move because it's protecting itself. So it goes to the sacrum and is like, 
cool. We'll take range of motion from, from that so you can move about the world. And it feels like back pain, but it's really a hip thing, you know? And this is, you know, this is years and years of working with all kinds of different great healers and different modalities and just piecing together the kind of the clues and the, and the mystery of like, why does my guy done back hurt every day, you know? But I think it's so powerful to be able to identify the root cause. I mean, that just, even the diagnostic, even if we're not even talking about the therapy part of it, is just like to figure out what's wrong. All right, y'all, we thrived right on through 2022, perhaps the weirdest year to date. And after the end of year work obligations and holiday family fun, it's easy to start the new year stressed, worn out, and lacking motivation, which is definitely not the way we want to start the new year. So if you're feeling like you need a holiday from the holidays, I have a perfect solution. Do yourself a favor and start taking magnesium breakthrough every night before you go to bed. I do this daily and I don't plan on stopping ever. Why is that? Well, because stress depletes your magnesium levels and magnesium is critical for getting deep and restorative sleep. And the reason magnesium breakthrough is so effective is that it's the only organic full spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium all in each pill. And trust me, when you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, that's when the magic happens. Pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your sleep to your brain, from stress to pain, and even inflammation. And even better, by making magnesium breakthrough part of your daily routine, you're going to wake up fully rested, recharged, and ready to crush all of your New Year's resolutions. So for an exclusive offer for Lifestylist listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com Luke. And in addition to the 10% discount you'll get by using the promo code Luke10, you will unlock a special gift with purchase for a limited time only. So again, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Luke and get your gift. I want to ask you one thing. Um, I don't know you that well, but we, we've hung out a few times and you seem like a really caring and heart-centered guy. You just like really have a warm sense about you. And so you got a business and I'm sure, you know, you guys hopefully are doing well after five years and you're growing and all that. You're probably making a couple bucks, but I'm curious, like, how good does it feel for you to know the ripple effect of how many people out there you're alleviating pain for or helping heal? If you have a couple thousand practitioners and they have dozens of patients each, I mean, the ripple effect of that is thousands and thousands of people are having a better quality of life because you went to engineering school and learned what you did and put together this machine. I mean, do you think about that? I, I do. And it, honestly, it's one of those things where being in, in any business, you know, especially starting a business, I think there's a lot of challenges along the way and you need, or at least I have needed some extra motivation to push through adversity, to get through the difficult times. And that really is the fuel. It's like, hey, look, if, you know what, if we keep creating these, these amazing experiences for people like this and providing this sort of relief and improvements, I just, I believe things are going to work out in the end. I just got an email actually this weekend from, I'm trying to remember what day it is right now. But this, Monday. Yeah, so <laughs> this weekend. Um, it feels like it's already Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long day today. <laughs> from a, uh, a physical therapist in rural Ohio. And she, she told me that actually two amazing success stories with the newbie. One was with a, 
a young woman, a, a high school athlete. So she's got some kids that play on the high school teams and so treats their, their teammates. One is a, a senior in high school who ha- had a Division I basketball scholarship. And then this summer, just so a few months, a few months ago, got diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a neurological neurodegenerative disease, essentially that, that uh, impaired function in her left leg. And so they didn't know if she was ever going to play basketball again. They said, look, you may recover, but it's probably going to take a year. All this stuff, she's concerned, like, well, I'm not going to get to play in high school. Am I going to get to play in college? Am I going to be able to have quality of life again? Like, where am I going to land in all this? And so this physical therapist actually sent, sent me, uh, she said, hey, I want to show you this video that we did. So this girl uh, went through treatment with this physical therapist, wonderful practitioner named Jackie. And Jackie worked with her. And in about two and a half months, had her back to 100%. She went out and played in a high school basketball game. And everyone there knew the story. You know, she was having to walk around with, with support and everything. And so they saw her out and they gave her a standing ovation when she was oh, walked wow. down the court. I mean, it's just this amazing thing. And then there was another, another um, one of her son's football teammates who had a, a sprained ankle, was supposed to be out for, for four or five weeks, got back in one week, didn't miss a game, and was able to go out and play in the, in the state playoffs and just there's so many of them but seeing every time you know i hear one of those it's like jet fuel it you know fuels up the tank to to keep going and to keep doing this work yeah i I figured that i don't know why that just came to mind i mean i experienced that a lot too uh you know doing this thing that i never did before seven years ago and i just kind of invented my own uh niche of a career and um like any career it has its challenges but then you get an email from someone that's like oh my God, that one episode changed my life or I sent it to my mom and then she did the thing and now she's okay. And there's so many of them over the years. And it really, it really does help you kind of keep going when things get difficult and stressful because money can't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't justify a really shitty, stressful day because, oh, I doubled my revenue today. Like who cares? Does it make the day suck any less? Might make your life a little easier on the back end, but not in the moment, you know? So thank you for sharing that. Uh, for those listening that might be familiar with, what is it called? I had it written down here. Oh, TENS, like a TENS unit or, or e-STEM. Is what you're doing here any, any different than that? That is probably the most common question that we get or the most common kind of belief that people have when they see this. They'll be like, oh, I see you know, electrodes on the skin. That must be a TENS unit. Oh, my, my physical therapy office or my chiropractor, my athletic training room, they have that already. And well, now maybe some of them do, but, but generally no, generally they have tens units, traditional electrical stimulation, and they, they're all under the same umbrella because they're ele- applying electrical currents to the body. But there are some major differences. The biggest one being this distinction that we already talked about between alternating current and direct current. So the, mm-hmm. the tens devices, most of what's out there is alternating current. And there's an interesting reason for that. And that is that direct current the benefits have been known for decades. So the, the Soviets in the heyday of the Soviet sports, comp, their era, when they were trying to win gold medals to prove that communism was the best system and try to assert their dominance through athletics, <laughs> they, they discovered some I really... I think we're doing that in this country now <laughs> without the sports. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. I digress. So, so they... They found all these wonderful benefits of direct currents, you know, some of which we've already talked about here. And yet they came, came against this, this problem where when they got high enough levels into the body to have these therapeutic effects, it would burn the skin of their athletes or whoever their patients, whoever they're working on. And so because of that, 
Direct Current, we, we essentially threw out the baby with the bathwater and Direct Current has fallen out of favor for decades. And so part of the special sauce here is that we've found a way to get Direct Current into the body, but without burning the skin. So we get these structural and functional benefits of Direct Current, yet with the comfort of alternating current. And so that, there's some electrical sophistication to that in terms of the waveform and the way it's engineered, but it's essentially reducing the resistance that could lead to heat dissipation and therefore burning and things like that. Um, and then also there's some other unique parameters about this that, you know, for example, the shape of the waveform is engineered to mimic the way that charges transfer across neurological membranes. And there's certain qualities like the pulse width. So it's a pulse direct current. And that's a balancing act between having enough stimulation that you'll get to the sensory nerves, but not so much that it becomes intolerable or, or you know, uh, uncomfortable or creates some of these other challenges. So, so there's, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. It's a very interesting exercise to, to come up with the, the perfect, or you know, not the perfect waveform, but they may, you know, to optimize all these, these competing variables. Well, that's interesting because I have a little, I think it's like a little $200 handheld TENS thing I bought. I mean, it was probably eight, nine years ago. I've had this thing forever. I can't believe it still works. You charge it with the USB and got a couple little, you know, little electrode sticker things. I got it at an airport or something. And it feels good. Put on your neck or something that's sore. I mean, I don't think it has any real like lasting therapeutic value, for, but for being on an airplane with a sore back or something, I find it useful and I use it here and there. But you can't turn it up very high because it becomes so painful and so uncomfortable. Whereas with this thing, I mean, sometimes I'll turn it up way higher than I think I can tolerate and without even really warming up, you know, because I think that's how you're probably supposed to do this. You kind of gradually go up until you tolerate. Sometimes I'll just like crank it and see what happens. And there's a little shock initially, and then I'm able to settle into it. And it, it actually feels good at a really high setting, which is really interesting. And maybe I'm just a freak. It doesn't, Allison isn't, doesn't share that when she does it. She goes very slow and not quite as high, but it feels to me like, ah, like getting a massage combined with acupuncture or something, you know, it's like, or like electroacupuncture where it's like, it, it kind of stings a little, but it's a good, it's a good sting, if that makes sense. So that maybe that has something to do with that, the waveform that you're delivering with that DC current. So there's, there's, you could crank that shit is what I'm saying. And it still like actually feels kind of good and therapeutic. Yeah. There's a, there's a few components to that. One is alternating current, you know, as that signal goes back and forth, sometimes you get those co-contractions we talked about, you'll get protective contractions, which has these functional effects, but you actually get a, a sympathetic nervous system, a fight or flight response in the body. And with, with the direct current signal of the newbie, we actually see the opposite. We see an increase in parasympathetic function. If you turn it up, that, may, that difference may go away because you'll have a, it, it'll be like a workout. If you're turning it up to those levels like you're talking about, it'll be a, like a workout where you get some sympathetic nervous system activity in order to, to mobilize energy and meet the immediate challenge. And then you shift into the rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system and recover afterwards. But there is, there is a difference in the amount of sympathetic activation you'll get at the same level of current if you compare alternating current and direct current. And one of the things that, that I did as part of the process here is take the newbie, take a, a Russian stim or you know, like a TENS unit, a traditional alternating current device. And uh, we did something where we would match them 
So it's the same amount of current coming out. So 50 milliamps of current coming out of the newbie, 50 milliamps of current coming out of this traditional electrical stimulation device. I put one on one arm, one on the other arm. And with the alternating current device, I, I turned it up that level and I was just locked. I couldn't move. I, I tried, I tried, I tried. I just could not push through it. With the newbie, it feels just as intense because just as much energy is being delivered, but I'm able to, to move through it. And so that speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to less of those agonist antagonists, those fighting each other types of contractions. It speaks to less protection overall. And it speaks to more of that signal going into that neurological input, less to like muscle output, more to neurological input, some of that quality that we talked about. And that's something that we can actually kind of change. We can get more or less muscle contraction or relaxation, but there it's actually more in the, in the relaxation spectrum or relaxation side of the spectrum. And so when you, know, when, when you turn it up and you feel like, well, that's intense and it feels like it's making, me, making you tighten up, it's actually telling you to relax and it's you fighting against it. But as you breathe through it, as you move through it, you're able to relax through it. And that's part of the, the process of down-regulating those protective patterns or those protective reactions. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I just love the way it feels when it's cranked up. It's like getting a good massage, but it doesn't require anyone else there. And one, one other point on that. So TENS sometimes is referred to as electronic aspirin. It'll create some of these sensory signals that kind of block or mask the pain. But when you take it off, the pain will come back typically shortly thereafter because you're not necessarily having any of this re-education effect to make any more lasting changes. Whereas this tends to create, you know, not that it's not like one session and anything is cured by any means, but benefits do tend to be more lasting. Got it. And while we're talking about pain, I mean, not emotional pain, but physical pain, what is it? Like we didn't, we kind of glossed over that, assuming everyone knows, but I'm kind of curious about the mechanism of experiencing pain. I mean, I get Obviously, nature designed us so that if we put our hand in a fire, we go, ow, take it out of the fire so we don't burn our hand off. But what's actually happening with pain and chronic pain and why do we seem to also experience it differently as individuals? Not Pain isn't the same to every person. We have different thresholds for pain, bothers some of us more than others, et cetera. So maybe break down of some of your perspective on pain in general. Pain is a fascinating subject. And I was actually thinking about it when you were talking earlier about the holistic approach to dealing with injury, about how your back issue is really stemming from the hips or how movement in the feet can actually create these rotational forces all the way up the spine into the shoulders and affect the neck or you know, different things like that. So when you're talking about pain, we really have to look even more holistically. We have to broaden this even more because for pain, we're going to have to go into something called the biopsycho social model, taking into account biology in the body and also psychology and, and social aspects because they all contribute to pain. So pain is a signal created by the brain. It's a response to perceived threat. So that can be a real or, or imagined threat, but it's a response to perceived threat. And it's the brain's way of saying, we need to make a change. You know, in some cases, if someone, if someone hits you or if, if, I were to, if I were to whack you with a hockey stick in the leg or something like that, then it's pretty obvious that there was some, some damage, some trauma to that area. And your brain is telling you, is creating pain there as a signal to tell you to you know, use the other leg or stay off that leg so that you 
give your body a chance to heal. You don't risk injuring it worse. There's a one-to-one correlation. But then there are cases where people have chronic pain long after the original injury has healed. And you have to wonder, well, why is that? The brain is still perceiving that there's some threat there. It could be because of, of poor movement patterns and, and the way that you're loading or using that area of the body. It could be because of some of these other, other issues that are going on. So the, the biopsychosocial model of pain tells us that threats, perceived threats to the system can be tissue-based, biological, but they can also be psychological and social. And so let's say I'm working in a business and I have a conversation with my boss and my boss scolds me and tells me that I missed the deadline. I fucked up. Sorry, messed up the presentation. <laughs> I, you know, I, I you and, can swear on this show. <laughs> and I'm thinking that, that I'm, you know, I, I'm thinking I'm at risk of losing my job. Well, guess what? There's a deep survival instinct that kicks in and my brain starts to think, oh shit, if I, if I lose my job, I may not be able to afford rent or food. And there actually is at a deep psychological level, a survival risk associated with that. I'm afraid of losing my job muscle that my brain can make hurt if it wants to create that signal of pain. And so if any, anyone listening to this, if you do experience pain, hopefully you're not experiencing pain right now in this moment, but if you do experience pain, oftentimes it probably is. And I would, I would be willing to bet that, that when you do, it likely is always in the same place. So it may ebb and flow, but when it comes on, it like, is likely to be in the same place because a lot of the, the reasons that we experience pain are these things that, that quote unquote should not hurt, you know, like issues at, you know, professionally in, in your, with your job or, or an argument with your spouse or you ate a food that, that uh, you had an inflammatory reaction to or didn't sleep as well the night before or whatever it might be. So the brain, if it's going to create one of these signals of pain, it's going to use, it doesn't want to invest the energy and resources to build a whole new pain pathway. It's going to use a well-rehearsed existing pain pathway and that's why it's going to tend to reuse that same one. And that's why sometimes if you pay attention to your pain and your symptoms, it'll hurt worse if you're you know, under a deadline or, or something like that. It'll feel better after a great night of sleep or, or when you're on vacation or something like that, when you know, your, your stress levels are, are reduced during that period of time. So there's a lot that goes into pain. One of the things that is really important and one of the avenues by which we're able to help people is that pain is a response to perceived threat and that perceived threat is you know, oftentimes somewhere in the body. Like even if it's a, a psychological trauma, there is a physical correlate. You know, there's this great, great field of physiological psychology about how the body affects the brain and the brain affects the body. It's two-way street. And so if I'm in a, a hunched forward position and my body language is expressing that I'm sad, it's really difficult for me to feel happy. Like you could tell me great news and I'd be like, you know, hooray, but like, <laughs> I, I, you can't really feel happy. In yes, that body position, right? This is fascinating. <laughs> I love where you're going with this. And so the experience is, you know, lives in the body somewhere. And like, even if Brandon, who was behind the camera here, if he threw a glass jar at me, I would have this stereotypical reaction. I would lift, reflexively lift my arms up to you know, protect my face and my, my organs, my more vulnerable areas. But if something is coming at me metaphorically, I'll actually do a little bit of that same thing. I may not lift my arms all the way up here, but I'll have some tightening in the front of my body. I'll have that same sort of protective mechanism. And so these patterns of protection still exist 
in the body, even if nothing is coming at us physically and scanning around, going through that mapping process, we can identify where those patterns are being held in the body and help to work through. So there are some interesting psychological correlates, but there also is a, a very strong connection there with the experience of pain. And that's part of how we're able to help people with chronic pain. And, and one other point that you touched on that, that I think is, is really a wonderful topic to discuss is how pain, why pain is different for so many people or so different across people's experience. And part of that is because pain has been shown, you know, looking at, at functional MRI, um, looking at images of the brain, there's at least 12 brain areas that have been identified that are associated with pain. And so for some people, it's more, more of the emotional area and they might feel sad. For some, it might be more of the areas that, that kind of look into the future and they might feel a stronger sense of worry of, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to, am I going to be able to do that activity or play with my kids? Or am I going to be, is it going to be like this forever? You know, there's some people that project more into the future, some that people that have different types of experiences based on those brain areas. So there's, you know, if you have 12 different areas, mathematically, you can have, I don't know, thousands or millions of different permutations of that. It's like, if you go to, if you go to Chipotle, you know, there might be 15 ingredients, but if you, if you did every, com- like there could be a billion combinations of, of those 15 mm-hmm, ingredients. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's interesting. There's a couple things there I want to touch on. One is you're so right about um, the relationship between physiology and your emotional state. And I watched this video years ago. It was a TV show and it was about, it was talking about body language and, and the, basically the, the power of the body over the mind. And they did these exercises where they had people going into a job interview and they would take on this confident, pose where they're like, ah, like a lion and roaring and all this stuff. And then they go in the job interview and be super confident and crush it. And then they'd have people cow down and shrink kind of as you were, and they'd have the opposite effect. And so I saw that show and I started doing that before I give talks. I still do that just from that one show because it freaking works. I go on stage and I'm like much more open and less self-conscious and just more confident and just, it freaking works. Contrarily, as you were talking, I just remembered this morning, I had kind of a rough start on the day today. And I was in the backyard and I started to kind of feel sorry for myself and just kind of have a F my life moment, which I totally is totally irrational because like my life is great. That's how I was feeling. And I kind of covered my eyes like this and put my hand forward. And I was just really literally feeling sorry for myself. Just like, fuck this day. I hate this. And I caught myself doing that, thank God. And then I stopped and just changed my physical posture and sat up and started just taking some breaths and appreciating the sun and I was able to turn it around. But if I wasn't aware of that, I mean, it could have really colored my day and that shittiness that I was experiencing early on could have persisted just because the physiology was dictating being in a victimized sort of mindset or a frustrated, hopeless kind of frame of mind. You know, it's so true. As you hunched over, I was like, oh, I actually did that this morning. <laughs> but thankfully, I caught myself, you know, mm-hmm. and pulled my head out of my ass and continued on being grateful for my best life. That, that awesome that you caught that. And part of the, the neuroscience of that is that our brains are constantly monitoring our environment, essentially trying to, trying to look for threats to survival, right? And so our brains process tens of millions of bits of information per second only a small few of those will bubble up into conscious awareness. 
So there's so much happening beneath the level of conscious awareness. But I think we have to remember that when we talk about the brain constantly monitoring the environment, that of course includes the external environment, what we see, smell, taste, hear, touch. It also includes our internal environment. And so that, that means temperature and balances of uh, you know, pH balance, carbon dioxide levels, all these different things. And of course, the position that we're in. So that is a powerful signal to the brain to give it information about the environment and what's going on. And this, you know, different positions are, are very different signals that do influence activity in the brain. Yeah, I mean, think about, I haven't done a yoga class in a while, but I did practice yoga pretty uh, consistently for a number of years. And I was always amazed, especially kundalini yoga, I was always amazed how in 90 minutes, I could be a completely different person. (laughs) You know, I could be having like, you know, whatever kind of morning, walk in, spend 90 90 minutes moving the body in various ways and come out and be like, oh my God, I'm going to have the most awesome day ever. That always tripped me out. And it was so reliable, you know, it's just crazy, just back in the day, these mystics figured out that, well, if you point two fingers that way and then breathe this way and put your knee over here, it changes the way you feel emotionally and it changes your mental perception of your reality. It's just incredible. Um, The other thing that I thought was really interesting that you touched on was, you didn't use this, but I'm just kind of couch it this way, is we can have emotional PTSD, right? Where, uh, you know, we were hurt emotionally a number of years ago And then we're carrying that and it's not yet fully healed. And then something similar happens to us today and the day we're in. And subconsciously, without our being aware of it at all, it reminds us of that thing that happened before. And now we're reacting in a way that's totally not appropriate to the thing that's actually happening. Like a common phrase people use now is being triggered, right? You're being triggered by something. And I never thought about physical pain kind of behaving in the same way. So what you were describing, I almost see as um, almost like a physical PTSD. All these years ago, you know, I hurt my ankle. It's totally fine. It's totally healed. But the body still kind of remembers what had happened and it's behaving as if it is injured. Is that kind of what you were, you're saying with that? The way the body holds on to pain, even though it's, it's not actually real anymore? I think- it's almost like a phantom, a phantom pain of some kind of physical PTSD or something. I think that there's definitely a component to that. I think there's a very logical avenue here by which some of this body-based work can help with psychological issues like that. And that's something that I have seen glimpses of in our work over the years and am fascinated by and would really like to explore and do some more formal research on. But I think there's a component to that. There's also a lot of different layers to that. So for example, you know, if, if you have an old ankle injury and it still still hurts. You know, sometimes that's because of incomplete rehabilitation. You may have, you know, good strength and, and muscle output, but you may not be getting as much of the sensory input up to your brain from that area. And so if your brain can't see where that, that foot and ankle is in space, can't see it as clearly, it's going to try to clamp down and limit movement and, and try to get you to use that area less. And one tool for doing that, of course, is creating a signal of pain. And so a really kind of instructive thought exercise here is to think about, um, so proprioception is the, the, the word that describes how the brain sees the body in space. And so like, imagine if, if we were in this room here and there were a surveillance camera 
like your 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 brain was kind of like a surveillance camera looking at you moving around in this in this room. So here we've got these ottomans, we've got this table, a couple of cameras and some lights set up and everything. And so if you're walking around in this room with your eyes open, that's like a clear surveillance camera. You can see everything. And so you can walk with ease around, even navigating some of these complex obstacles here. But if you close your eyes, it's like shutting down that surveillance camera. You can't see as clearly where you are in space. All of a sudden now, your movements are going to be a lot more guarded because you're going to be afraid of like, am I going to trip over this ottoman? Am I going to run over and damage that expensive camera? Am I going to, am I going to kick, my, kick this table with my shins or something like that? And so since you can't see as clearly where you are, you can't predict as accurately what you may run into or, or what, what threats, what issues you may encounter, you're going to restrict your movement there. And so, so sometimes it has to do with a limitation on communication in that area. A, a good term for that is uh, sensory motor amnesia. So it's like oh, the brain, wow. brain kind of forgets or it doesn't get much information. And so it, to some degree forgets where that area of the body is or, or what it's fully capable of doing. So there's, there's a lot of different components to that, the physiological psychology, and then just that kind of activating that two-way street of communication. And sometimes you need a, a, a barrage of energy from a device like this or from good effective movement or manual-based techniques or different things. You need that barrage of input to remind the brain like, hey, this, this is here. Like, hey, you can, you can use this. It's safe. It's okay. Less threatening. We can open our eyes and see where we are in this room or you know, whatever the metaphor is. So a lot of this is about turning on the communication through the whole body system. Yes. So the brain is communicating effectively with the body and the nervous system. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. We all know the phrase, let there be light, right? Well, I agree. Light can be a potent life-supporting energy. Not to mention it allows us the convenience of turning nighttime into daytime on demand. But unfortunately, light can also suck in terms of the negative effects on our health. For example, most indoor lighting flickers, which can be an issue for our neurological system. Now, you can't see this flicker with the naked eye, but if you shoot a short slow-mo video of your light fixtures or bulbs on your phone, you can see how bad the flicker rate is with many light sources. Try it right now, and you'll likely be shocked by what you see. Plus, modern lighting commonly emits a spike in blue light, which can disrupt sleep quality. And lastly, some bulbs also emit tons of toxic EMF, which is, of course, no bueno. So that's the bad news, womp womp. But the good news is that I found the perfect solution to all of these issues. It's the blue light blocking lighting collection from Bond Charge. Their bulbs remove the blue and even green spectrum and provide balanced light for better eye health and sleep. And they also happen to be flicker-free and very low EMF. Plus, they now offer full-spectrum bulbs with three settings that you can manually change from day to night so you can mimic visible sunlight and regulate your circadian rhythm all with zero Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. So Bond Charge is just killing the game in blue light blocking lighting, reading lights, lamps, and even night lights. To get your lighting in order, here's what you do. Go to bondcharge.com slash lifestylist and use the coupon code lifestylist to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E, bondcharge.com slash lifestylist. talking about the diagnostic capacity of new fit and that you can do this scanning are there 
risks or alternative benefits to other diagnostics like x-rays and MRIs? I know often when someone has an injury, they go get an MRI. Are there things that does for you that this can't do? I've heard negative things about obviously getting x-rays, you're getting exposed to radiation. Uh, some people say that when you get an MRI, you know, the fluid they put into you is like solid deuterium. That's not good for you. I mean, there's a lot of people that are kind of against those diagnostics, but they have their place. What's your take on just figuring out what the problem is in those methods or what you've come up with? So there, there certainly is diagnostic value in, in x-rays and MRIs and other imaging. And there's times when it's necessary. You know, there's times where a bone is broken and there's a risk that it may not heal. And so you need to put in you know, a rod, a pin, a screw, et cetera. And, and thank goodness we have skilled orthopedic surgeons for those cases. There's times where you need MRIs to image soft tissues and, and identify you know, that they are fully torn and, and you do need to you know, repair them or things like that. There are, however, there is, I, I think, an over-reliance on those. Uh, there's a famous orthopedic surgeon named James Andrews. And so he's one of the top two or three orthopedic surgeons that a lot of the athletes will will go to. So the superstar athletes, when they, you know, baseball pitchers, when they need Tommy John or NFL receivers, if they, you know, have a, an ACL tear, need an ACL reconstruction, he's one of the top two or three guys that people will go to, bigger name in that field. And he became frustrated with the over-reliance on imaging. He was saying to his physician colleagues, hey, let's use more of our, our skills of diagnostics and discernment and physical evaluation, and let's trust our own knowledge more. And so he also thought that, that imaging, the over-reliance on imaging was leading to, to more surgeries, unnecessary surgeries. And so he commissioned a, a small study where he took 30 Major League Baseball pitchers, guys who were actively pitching, who maybe had minor pain or something, but generally were, weren't experiencing any symptoms and they were able to go out and pitch and earn hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And he looked at their throwing shoulders on an MRI and in 25 out of the 30, they found damage that was bad enough to justify surgery. And, Whoa. and yet none of them were experiencing any pain. And so oh, man. this is another piece of evidence that, that, that allows us to draw this, you know, disconnect damage from pain. We talked about how there can be pain when there's no damage. There can also be damage without pain. So that it's not, it's not a one-to-one correlation. We often think, part of why I like to talk about this is that it can be empowering to patients because a lot of times they think, oh, this hurts, it's broken. I'm going to need this brace or this surgery or have to take these anti-inflammatories forever but there's more to it. There's more to the story. And so in this case, there was a, a New York Times article where he talked about, he said, if you want to you know, do surgery, get an MRI or something like that, because you'll almost always be able to find something to justify doing surgery. But that may not actually be a problem for that person. There's other studies that show that something like 50% of people in their 50s who don't have back pain, 50% of them have disc bulges or herniations or things that'll right. show up on an MRI right. yeah. that, that yeah. you'd think could justify, you know, at the extreme end surgery, or you think would be causing pain yet these people are not in pain. And so I do think that, that the, over, there, there is, you know, I would agree with Dr. Andrews that there's an over-reliance on imaging. And that's part of why going through this process, I think does have some helpful diagnostic ability. Like, like we talked about where you can see if someone is making 
significant improvements and they're lasting, that tells us that it's more of a functional issue. And yes, there may be structural damage and you want to be responsible and give it a chance to heal. But that is not necessarily, the structural part is not necessarily the biggest problem. Whereas if you don't see as much of a, a functional change, that can tell you that, hey, there probably is more significant damage here. Maybe if we haven't already, let's refer out for some imaging and maybe it's a surgical case or maybe it's just something where there is damage. We want to keep treating it. We just need to adjust our expectations to know that it's going to take longer because there is more healing that needs to happen. Yeah, that's, um, that's very interesting. It reminds me of many years ago. I mean, this is probably oh, 20 years ago or something. I first started to have this lower back pain and I went to, I don't, I don't know what type of physician, but whoever checks you out and got an MRI and they... I had a couple of discs that were, I don't know, they were uh, compressed or something, right? And so they wanted to uh, fuse my spine, basically. And thank God, you know, at the time I, di- I didn't elect to do that. But I remember them telling me, well, what you have isn't that bad. We see people all the time that have much worse discs, but they experience no pain. And I remember thinking, what the hell? They're like, yours isn't bad, but we can fix it. And I was like, well, what? This <laughs> makes no sense. You know, and I think that was part of the reason I didn't do it. But it speaks to that, this strange uh, phenomenon wherein people just experience pain so uniquely, right? Every person. You can have someone who has a super shitty MRI and no pain and someone that has a pretty good one and has a lot of pain. So I think that that's a really good uh, example of that. There's, there's a funny adjacent closely related topic here where in terms of the difference of people who, uh, how people experience pain, it, you know, people who think that they have a high pain tolerance oftentimes are the most sensitive and, and don't have a high pain tolerance because they're the ones who are more aware of feeling pain. And so they think, oh, I can feel this pain and I can endure it. You know, whereas the people who really have a high pain tolerance are the ones that are less sensitive and experience less pain overall. The people who you could like hit them and they're like, oh, you know, that doesn't really hurt as much. So it's kind of this interesting way where we fool ourselves, we get fooled a little bit by our own perception there. So when someone comes in to get on the machine, for example, they're like, oh, you can probably turn it up high. I have a high pain tolerance. It's kind of, it's kind of a funny <laughs> thing where they're actually not often able to go as high because we get, yeah, we get, fooled essentially by that by that perspective that's funny (laughs) wow all right well i guess people are probably listening to this going wow this sounds cool i have pain i want i want it diagnosed i want to learn how to treat it and you have all these practitioners out there i i'm curious what the percentage of people that are home users like me i mean these things are not cheap but for someone like me that's experiencing a lot of pain, I don't really care. I want to just get whatever works and I'm willing to do what I got to do to make that happen. What percentage of people do you have that are just private users like me versus practitioners? So I want to give people a sense of you know how easy it's going to be or difficult for them to actually start to experience um, you know this technology and to, to use it for themselves. It's probably close to a, an example of the 80-20 principle where 80, probably a little more percent of the devices that are out in the world are used in, in clinics, um, you know, or in a professional setting or, you know, some, with pro sports teams or universities or stuff like that, probably a little bit over 80%. So, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20% are used by people at home. And that, that's people like yourself who are either, you know, biohacking or health enthusiasts and are, are you know, 
interested in putting in the time or do experience, you know, have a real pain point where this can help you. And sometimes with the body and, and movement, especially, there is an ongoing requirement for doing it every day. It's not like you can, you know, brush your teeth once and it's like, oh yeah, I'm good for the next year or something like that. It's, you know, same thing with, with movement. With movement, we have requirements. We need, you know, use it or lose it really applies and it applies even more strongly as we get older. It applies even more strongly if there's any sort of neurodegenerative or different types of conditions like that. And so um, there is some movement requirement that you need every day, just some baseline minimum to maintain your health, vitality, and, and you know, ability of your body. And so this can help you achieve that, can help you, you know, manage pain and, and keep, stay more, more comfortable on an ongoing basis. Um, most commonly, we've seen it used by you know, elite athletes, um, you know, several professional athletes. Yeah, that would be me, obviously. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That, so you know, they have their own because they use it to recover. They use it to get in training sessions during the season when it's you know, difficult to get in the weight room and you have to manage, you know, manage all these different loads and stresses and challenges between games and practices and travel and late nights and bad food and dehydration. You know, to be able to get in these very targeted, quick strength stimulus workouts to maintain strength during the season when it typically starts to die off and decrease during the season, for example, you know, and then to prime and activate the muscles uh, before games. So you're less likely to get hurt and you can perform better and to, to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system to do our master reset or vagus nerve stimulation protocol to help recover, you know, on the airplane or, or between back-to-back games or just when you're feeling run down during the season, all those types of things. Um, and then there's another big use case with people recovering from surgery or, or trying to restore function after neurodegenerative diseases or neurological injuries like stroke, spinal cord injury, MS, things like that. Because these are situations where you ultimately want to be doing you know, therapy every day. And it can be more time and cost effective to have a device at home than maybe to go to a clinic or something like that. But there is uh, a network of clinicians that, that we talked about. And so I certainly would recommend, I think it's the best case scenario, if you can find a physical therapist, find a chiropractor, find another professional in your area who's using this. And we have a, um, a landing page at new.fit slash Luke, N-E-U dot F-I-T slash Luke. So if people are interested, they, can, they can look up, uh, you know, look up, find a, find a provider in your area. Hopefully there will, will be one somewhere nearby. I was going to mention that. Yeah. So it's www.neu.fit slash Luke. And I also got word before we started that you guys are giving $1,000 off for the newbie for people that want to get them. So thank you for that. I love it when guests come on and they at least, you know, they're going to talk about their stuff. They give a little hookup to the audience. Um, For me with this kind of thing, and I mean, you got to understand, for most of my adult life, there was no way any of the things that I have now would be attainable to me in any way. Um, just because I, you know, I was waiting tables and a musician and just like, just hand to mouth, right? Eating organic food was like as much as I could spend on my health at some point. And even not that uh, or in the early years. But the way I look at it with some things, it was this way with the hyperbaric chamber that I have downstairs. It was like, I think, $22,000. It's a lot of freaking money for me too. But I priced out. I wanted to work on my cognition. I priced out going and doing individual sessions. When I went and got a brain scan with Dr. Amen. He said, you need to do 100 hyperbaric sessions to fix your brain. And he seemed to know what he was talking about. So I priced it out. It was like $250 a pop plus gas, parking, the time to drive there, all that. And it actually made sense to just finance the chamber for me, you know, 
But that's because I had something that I really wanted to work on. And in this case here, I also have some physical things that I really want to work on. And I went and saw you guys at the New Fit headquarters here in Austin, which I was so stoked to learn you were here close by. And Alice and I went in and it's like, cool, I'll go pay for you know some training with one of your guys. And it was great, but I'm not going to do that three times a week. You know, Even if I had the money, I don't have the time. But if it's here, I can do it. So I think for, for some people like that, it makes sense. But I was looking on your site and some of the things that practitioners are using this technology for. I mean, I did an edited list here, but these are things that I hear from listeners of the show. Hey, do you know anything like, how do you fix this? How do you fix that? Plantar fasciitis, ankle sprain, shin splints, knee alignment injury, which I think is something that Allison has a little bit of, pulled groin, strained quad or hip flexor, obviously back and neck pain rotator cuff injury, shoulder impingement, tennis elbow, carpal tunnel, arthritis, um, swelling, recovery from orthopedic surgery. Those are kind of the things that I figured it would work for because I'm getting relief from the pain associated with those type of things. But then, and you kind of alluded to this a few minutes ago, then there are applications for more serious neurological issues like spinal cord injury, TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, and as you mentioned, MS. What are the practitioners doing with those more kind of serious neurological issues? What kind of protocols do they use to get someone, you know, back in the game? With those patients, I mean, it's a similar process in that you're putting the pads on, applying that direct current, combining it with movement. If they can't move on their own, then the, the therapist might be, you know, lifting their leg or their arm for them or, or assisting them in, in rolling over or crawling or supporting themselves. So it's you know maybe regressed movements but it it looks similar the cool breakthrough there is that with patients who need to heal from neurological injury or neurodegenerative diseases there what we're really after is neuroplasticity and neuroplasticity is this wonderful term that gets thrown around essentially describes when people are talking about microdosing <laughs> yeah right that's yeah. you hear that word a lot these yeah. days yeah. <laughs> So another different part of the same, <laughs> the same concept. But so neuroplasticity describes how our nervous system adapts to the environment. So it's like why you and I growing up in the US, you know, we may speak English or Spanish and, and a child who grows up in China would speak Mandarin because they've adapted to learning the language that they're hearing all the time uh, as, as we do here. And so part of neuroplasticity is you essentially need enough input to convince the brain that, that these pathways, these muscles, these tissues are important. We're going to be using these and it is worth investing the energy and resources to build up and then maintain those for the long haul. And it takes, you know, it takes for a patient recovering from a stroke or trying to restore function they lost because of MS, it takes a level of commitment and training typically that is on par with a professional athlete. It's hours a day of focused therapy, not just for a day or a week, but for weeks and weeks, for months and months and months to accumulate hundreds of thousands of high quality repetitions. And then with the recovery in between, because you need to have, you know, need to be able to eat and digest and assimilate the food and have the raw materials to rebuild. You need to be sleeping well at night because deep sleep is when we rebuild structures of the body. REM sleep is when we remodel the nervous system and, and assimilate or integrate what we've learned during the day. And so you need, to, you need to have stimulation, you, know, you need to have an effective session, effective recovery, effective session, effective recovery. You have to repeat that ad nauseum for, for months and months and months in order to create these changes. 
And so what, what the newbie allows us to do is take that physical therapy session and supercharge it so that you're, you're essentially getting the benefits of doing hundreds or thousands of movements in the time that you're doing dozens of movements because you're getting that barrage of that direct current, that sensory neurological input. So you're, there's a, still a, a critical mass of work that you need to accomplish in order to, in order to achieve these goals. We're just helping people get there faster. And so where what might normally take three years, maybe, maybe is 18 to 24 months. It's still a long time. It's not like, hey, you know, you're done in a few sessions. It's not like a sprained ankle or, you know, some of those other more kind of orthopedic, more common things that we see, but it is still, uh, it is still a huge value proposition to be able to be able to have a much more significant effect or be able to get the same effect, you know, in, in half or two thirds of the time or whatever it might be. It certainly varies per person, but that's kind of the value proposition there with, with those neurological patients is to, to tap into that power of neuroplasticity. That's cool. I mean, that, if you think about the improvement in quality of life when someone's dealing with something that that's that dramatic, right? I mean, oh, I got a sore elbow, a bad back. I mean, you can kind of just mask it and forget about it. But when you're dealing with something like MS or a spinal cord injury, like a small improvement is a huge improvement in your quality of life. So that's pretty huge. That's very cool. And we've seen certainly a lot of those cases where those small improvements make make huge improvements. We've also seen some some huge improvements. Like in my book, for example, I tell a story of a, a woman who had, uh, has MS and she, you know, over time just had this decline, decline, decline where, you know, she had some chronic pain. She lost function. She became wheelchair bound. She had to give up her driver's license. She had to, she was working at a school, couldn't work anymore, had to have a caregiver at home. You know, eventually, well, she came down, she actually lives in Wisconsin, came down to spend a week with us in Austin started making some progress. She was able to bend down. She was able to reduce her spasm enough to where she could bend down to tie her own shoe for the first time in a couple of years. And then she had enough strength to lift her leg, to straighten her leg, extend her knee while sitting in her wheelchair for the first time in a while there. And, you know, started having this, saw progress. So she got, she took a machine home, worked with one of our physical therapists remotely to create a program. And she continued with that. And over time, she got out of her wheelchair, started walking in. She got her driver's license back. She actually oh, went back wow. and started volunteering wow. at the school where, where she used to teach. She got rid of her caregiver at home and just regained her autonomy. I mean, this amazing story. It didn't happen overnight. It took yeah. you know, 18 months of work and she's, because she still has this autoimmune condition and this, this neurodegenerative threat, she, she still does it. But you know, she was doing four or five days a week worth of work treating herself like an athlete for a long enough period of time that she accumulated all these benefits. And you look back at where she was, you know, 18 months prior and it's just a, you know, a transformation. Wow. That's cool. Do you foresee uh, at any time in the future of your product development coming out with something that's, you know, more of a home user model that's, that's less expensive and perhaps, you know, doesn't have some of the deeper therapeutic value, but just a pocket model newbie or something that's, you know, still useful for people that's a little more attainable if somebody did just have like a carpal tunnel or a, a minor sprain or something like that? So we are, we're certainly always looking for ways to innovate methodology, technology, and that is one of the things on our list. You know, as we sit here today, we don't necessarily have a, a timeline of exactly when something like that would be out, but it's in the works and, excuse me, 
get another sip of water here. Well, I got you talking a lot. <laughs> I got a million questions. You're going to get worn out eventually. Got uh, <clears throat> There we go. Thank, the spring water, though, is amazing. It's good. <laughs> Shout out to Alive Water if you're in Austin or California. And I think they have it in Miami now. Oh, nice. Yeah, great spring water delivered to your doorstep. Nice. Yeah, it's um, amazing. You guys could get it in your office, man. It's the same price as freaking Mountain Valley. People, I mean, you know, that's more expensive than tap water. But in terms of um, bottled water delivered to your house, we, we it's gotta, like amazing. I mean, offline, we got to talk. I know you've done some episodes on this. I'm sure I can just listen to it on the way back home. But uh, yeah. difference between like we use reverse osmosis filter and we got some other, you know, trying to be diligent about having good quality water. But yeah, you know, well, at, least you're, about, at least you're doing that. Yeah. On that point, it's, it's a short answer. RO water, I think, is good because it's clean. Mm-hmm. You just got to remineralize it and spruce it up a little bit with some restructuring. And yeah. you basically can reconstitute it so that it's like spring water. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a purist. So if I can, I'm going to drink the real deal. But I have an AquaTrue RO system down there. And when I don't have this water, that's what we drink. And we were drinking that for a year and a half before we moved into the house. So. Yeah. It's all good, man. As long as your water doesn't have fluoride and a bunch of crap in it, you're winning, you know? Yes. I always remind myself, there's many people on the planet that don't even have clean potable, or what do they call it? Potable? Potable water? Yeah. It's spelled potable. I'm just going to call it potable. Mm-hmm. What's up with this uh, foot bath you turned me on to, this parasympathetic hack? I did it one night. Um, no, no, no. That, no, there's two things I want to ask you. I'm getting them confused. One is the foot bath that I have not done yet, but I have my little foot bath over there ready to do it. I printed out the instructions today, but you taught me this other parasympathetic deal that you said really brought your HRV scores up at night. Could you describe, I don't know, those kind of applications, which are just for general wellness and just kind of tuning your your nervous system? Yeah, absolutely. So the, oh, just to to finish the thought on, on the uh, personal use, device there where I just want to make sure I mentioned it before I needed to mm-hmm. get some water for my throat there, but definitely something that's in the pipeline. I mean, it's, you know, probably a couple of years away in terms now having been through the development cycle and knowing how long this truly takes, but definitely something that is in the work. And like you doing this podcast and wanting to get, you know, this wonderful message out to more people, we want to be able to touch, to impact the lives of more people. And so that's certainly something that's on the radar there. So in terms of this uh, parasympathetic activation, this is a program, a protocol that we call the Master Reset. And so it's our version of a vagus nerve stimulation. I'm sure, you know, most people listening know vagus nerve, parasympathetic nervous system. Just essentially, if it's not clear to anybody, you know, it's essentially the, the rest and digest side of the nervous system or the feed and breathe side, which counteracts the fight or flight, the sympathetic stress nervous system side of the nervous system. And those are essentially antagonistic. The fight or flight speeds up heart rate, increases blood, blood pressure to mobilize energy to rise to meet an immediate challenge, sends blood out to the muscles, whereas the opposite, that feed and breed or rest and digest, sends blood away from the muscles of the periphery, sends blood more into the organs so we can better digest food, eliminate waste, fuel the reproductive organs of so feed and breed. And it also you know, slows down the heart rate, reduces blood pressure, and has a calming effect. So we need to spend enough time in that rest and digest state in order to recover from exercise, to recover from the stressors of, of a day, the stresses and challenges of life. And so many of the issues that we, health issues that we experience are a direct result of spending too much time in that fight or flight state. So issues with high blood pressure, issues with 
digestion elimination. People, a lot of people have GI issues or constipation. Infertility is something that, that is affected by that because too much time in fight or flight means less resources to those long-term growth and repair projects like reproduction. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So gl- growth and repair of our own tissues and our organs and things like that, we need to spend enough time in that rest and digest state. And so if you, if you do a, a guided breathing, like a, a structured breathing meditation type practice, that has been shown to increase your heart rate variability. So heart rate variability is a measure of the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system. Many people listening, I'm sure know what that means, but basically what heart rate variability is, is these subtle increases and decrease decreases in your heart rate with different phases of the breath. And it's basically saying, how well am I keeping up with the stresses and challenges of life? If I'm doing well, I have enough bandwidth to respond to subtle changes in my environment, like changes in air pressure as I breathe in and out. And so I'll make these subtle adjustments in my heart rate. Whereas if I'm kind of overwhelmed with all the shit going on out here, I don't really have the bandwidth to respond to those more subtle cues. And so heart rate variability, we actually want more variability because that means, generally speaking, more of that means that we're doing a better job of keeping up with the stresses and challenges, spending enough time in the rest and digest state. So heart rate variability is a very good metric for health, for resilience, et cetera. If you do a, a structured breathing or meditative practice, you'll see heart rate variability increase. If you do that in combination with putting the pads on the base of the skull and the balls of the feet like we do for the master reset, you'll see that increase in heart rate variability times two, times three, times four, times five, much more significant because we're getting stimulation in these very neurologically rich areas, getting stimulation of the vagus nerve directly. The feet are so neurologically rich. You know, there's this whole discipline of foot reflexology and I don't necessarily, now that I hear myself saying it, I'm kind of curious to look into it and see how well validated it may or may not be scientifically, but there's these theories of how parts of the foot are, are reflexively connected to the rest of the body and things like that. And I know that there are strong connections between the foot and certain areas of the body. So like the medial part of the foot has a reflexive connection to the psoas muscle. Middle part, quads, outside part of the arch of the foot is connected to the glute medius. The, there's connections between the calcaneus, the heel bone, and the hamstrings. So if you mobilize those areas of the foot, you'll see improvements in activation or range of motion of some of these other muscles in the hips and legs, for example. So that's wild. There are, there are a lot, there are. It's also true. If I rub my wife's feet, she will fall asleep in like 10 minutes. Yeah. And knocks her on her ass. Yeah. It'd be like eight o'clock. We're watching TV. I'm like, <laughs> I want to rub her feet. because It's nice for both of us. And then I'm like, no, she'll fall asleep literally every time. <laughs> so there's something to it there for sure. So, so we stimulate those areas and we see as measured by, you know, sophisticated heart rate variability measurement tools see significant increases in heart rate variability there. And so that essentially is telling us that the body is shifting from that stress fight or flight state into that parasympathetic rest and digest, repair and recover state. And that's a good thing to be doing on a regular basis is spending more time in that state. So some really good health benefits, you know, for growth and repair and regeneration, healing pain, also for sleep. So I also, you know, have one of these at home and my favorite time to do that is is before bed. If you're in a physical therapy clinic, you know, you can do it at the end of your session. You can't necessarily bring it home and do it, do it before bed. But uh, any, you know, doing it at all is certainly better than none. And then timing can make a little bit of difference. But when I saw my, with my aura ring, my heart rate variability scores just jump up dramatically when I did it um, 
several nights in a row, it seemed like there was some cumulative benefit. It took me to see really significant changes in my heart rate variability. I went from like 60 millisecond average to over, you know, I didn't, didn't see much movement the first eight or nine days, but days 10, 11, 12, 13, I went 100 milliseconds, 120, 140. I got to these numbers that I don't even know like the scale went that high. Dude, but, my average yeah. is around 50. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever. I mean, even when I look at different points in the night, it's never over 70 probably. Mm-hmm. You know, that's let's, crazy. Let's try that. Try that with you. Well, start doing you, that before bed. When you told me about it, I did it one night, but then I got paranoid because I've been really having terrible tinnitus lately. Mm-hmm. And those electrodes going on the back of my neck, I was like, ah, I don't know if it's going to like make my hearing you know get wacky or or not what what do you think about that i mentioned it briefly when you walked in we didn't really have time to get into it that's right i want to i want to do a little bit of work on you and see if see if we can help that we've seen okay so we don't i mean it's one of those things like we're not fda cleared to treat tinnitus or tinnitus sure we're not making claims about it or whatever but we have seen cases where people have it and we do some work on the neck particularly the parts of the neck kind of around and beneath the jaw where the cranial nerves pass through. And we've seen people report improvements in there. We've seen people report improvements in you know, other aspects of hearing or things like that. We also do some stimulation on the vestibular nerve, which it's the vestibular cochlear nerve, shared nerve between hearing and the vestibular system. And so there's some things that we've done where we've seen benefits for people. And I think it's worth trying. It's essentially a form of neuromuscular education. It's stimulating the nerves that are reporting that ringing sound or, or causing you to experience that you know if it's at, happening at different parts in the brain you know, we may or may not be able to, Dude, to do you, it but it, if you but, can fix that i will name my firstborn child after you sir <laughs> hope it's, it's a boy <laughs> it's, yeah right i know sorry, sorry young girl garrett yeah it's becoming really problematic well that's good to know because i just now when i do i'm usually pretty nonchalant about the experimentation i do i mean i put freaking pmf on my head whatever I, you know i I probably push the envelope a little bit out of the realm of safety, but it's kind of just how I'm wired. And I also like to be able to report to people like, hey, I took it too far. Don't do that. I'm willing to take one for the team. But yeah, I got real nervous about the, uh, about the, uh, the ringing. So that's good to know. I'm going to take a moment here to share an incredible resource with you. It's called Quantum Upgrade. Every unit of matter contains quantum energy, and so do our cells. Every person has a quantum energy field and constantly interacts with other quantum energy fields. Quantum energy is so important that the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics was specifically about quantum entanglement. Let me explain here how Quantum Upgrade uses this energy to powerfully enhance our well-being. Through many years of research, Quantum Upgrade has developed one of the world's most potent sources of usable quantum energy. When you sign up for their service, Quantum Upgrade associates your home, your phone, your business, your pet, or even your car with this energy source. And you all know by now what an EMF mitigation fanatic I am. That's because EMF frequencies are incoherent and dramatically stress the human body. Well, Quantum Upgrade counters this problem by harmonizing the EMF to make them no longer toxic to your body. This is why I love the service on my car. My car fatigue has dramatically improved. I mean, it very obviously works. But apart from the EMF benefits, Quantum Upgrade also enhances your vitality in many other ways, which are shown in the studies on their website. So if you want an affordable way to deal with EMF and experience the vitality you deserve, check out quantumupgrade.io. 
and get a 15-day free trial using the code LUKE15. Again, that's quantumupgrade.io. Speaking of PMF, do you know any practitioners that are using NuFit in conjunction with PMF, like the, you know, the pulse centers, the really powerful one or anything? Is there any synergy between them that you've observed? We have a few. Off the top of my head, I can think of, you know, two or three clinics that are using both. There may, may be more also. It's interesting because there's there's a fair bit of overlap, certainly some differences, but there's overlap because PEMF is essentially a magnetic field being introduced to the body, whereas this is an electric field. But electricity and magnetism interact in such a way that both an electric field and a magnetic field will cause charges to move, electrical charges to move, that's just basic physics. And there's a lot of, a lot of similarities. So if you, if you have like that pulse centers or something and you feel it pulsing, click, 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 you know, five times per second or something, if you turn this to a frequency of five per second and you put it on, It'll feel similar. Oh, right, right. This is going to be more specific. And so it's, I think, more about neurological function. That's going to be more general. And I think more about you know, blood flow energy to the area, more effects on inflama- inflammatory conditions or things like that. So I think it's sort of like a Venn diagram. There's some overlap. There's some differences. But they certainly can play well together. And I mean, I, I like it. I think where the overlap is, though, is that there's, there's kind of different ways to get to the same place. And that biggest difference probably is that kind of more general, the magnetic field is just going to kind of go everywhere in the, in the path, whereas the, this is going to be a little more specific. Yeah, that makes sense. And then what about the, uh, the foot bath? Mm-hmm. And and on the note of the foot bath, I, before I had the uh, the newbie, I was using it a lot over at the ARX headquarters on Sundays. Mm-hmm. We all Mike and the guys, you know, they let a few of us in to uh, to use their machines and stuff like a little friends and family Sunday workout. And I've been pretty consistent with it, so I like to use it over there. The other day I was over there and I asked him, I was like, "What's up with the foot bath thing? How do you do it?" And he was explaining it to me. And he goes, "No, bro, what it is the real shit." is you do a bath bath, the full body. And I have a really big tub here, you know? And so I don't, maybe that's off label. I don't know if you can speak to that, but he's like, no, you just, you put the electrodes in there the same way you do the foot bath, but your whole body gets buzzed. And I was like, that sounds cool, but I want to check with Garrett before I go off the rails with that. So, because electricity and water, obviously, typically don't mix, but we're dealing with a, you know, I'm sure, a, you know, a, a shielded or gated DC current, it's a little different than throwing a hairdryer in your bathtub. So, so yes, it is, it is different because we're putting the electrodes in the water. Be sure you do not put the device itself in the water. That, that could be problematic. <laughs> Expensive too. Yeah. So, yes, yes. You don't want to Void do warranty. Yeah, right, right. So, when we're putting the electrodes in the water, so, so the foot bath, we typically would have one of the pads on your body and then the other one is going to be a conductive you know, carbon silicone electrode just floating in the water. And there, what will happen is that instead of just being, being more concentrated at the electrode, the current's going to disperse more throughout the water. So with the feet and hands, that's valuable because they're so neurologically rich. There's so many mechanoreceptors, so many sensors and nerve pathways there. And if you disperse the current throughout the water, you're able to stimulate more of them. And so that you know, tends to be beneficial to get that barrage of input spread throughout these, these very neurologically rich areas. They have huge representations in the brain and just, you know, a really target rich 
area here to, to stimulate. So if you're doing, if you had pads in the bathtub, it would be the same sort of thing where if you had some pads down by your feet and then others up at your waist or up by your shoulders or something like that, the current is going to be dispersed throughout there. So you can spread it out a little more. It'll be, you know, less concentrated at the feet probably and just more, more kind of spread, more dispersed throughout the whole body. And so you may, you may feel it in different places. It may be more or less sensitive at certain places because of where the current's going to be, you know, spread and, and less concentrated and things like that. But definitely something you can do, you know, if I guess, especially if you have a device at home. I'm doing it. But you, just so with be careful f- not, to, not to get the device. Yeah, away. yeah, clearly. Now with the foot bath, you're putting in the little rubber disc into the water and then you're putting one of the, the sticky electrodes on your skin outside of the water, right? So you can do it. You can do it that way. You also could just have, uh, if you had two buckets of water, you could have one one floating in one and one in the other, and then it would kind of go up one leg and down oh, the other. Oh, okay. So a red, but if there, a red in one and a black in the other, okay. a positive and a negative. Could do that. We typically have. Uh, so a lot of times we do this with neuropathy patients, and we'll have one pad on the body up along the spine where the where the nerves are exiting the spinal cord so that we're getting stimulation along that entire nerve pathway because you're creating that electric field gradient along the entire nerve pathway, which we believe will influence that, that healing to happen there to, to repair, rebuild, whether it be the myelin sheath or some axon uh, collateral sprouting or different things like that, some sort of healing and regeneration. So there's, there's value in doing it that way. Um, but essentially, yeah, you need, to, you need to close the electrical circuits. You need to have two points of contact. So typically one up on the body and then the other with that electrode floating in and the water. And how do you get two points of contact if you're putting it in a whole bathtub? So that, you, you want to make sure... your that, body's in there so there's no dry part of your body to stick it on. Right. So one way to do it, one way to do it is to have, like, have your, your shoulders out and then put sticky pads on your, on your traps. Ah, uh, okay. And then have the other ones, the rubber conductive ones floating down by your feet. Got it. That's, so would you have one negative and one positive on your body and one negative and one positive in the water? You'd actually, then if you did that, then the, the charges would probably move between those and between these. Oh, okay. You want to have both positive at one end, both negative at the ah, other end. okay. So the gradient is like, longitudinally Got from it. head to toe. Cool. I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> now that I've heard it from the man himself, you know, that uh, as long as I do it right, I'm, I'm safe. I think that sounds really cool. Now we've been talking mostly about the application as it has to do with rehabilitation and, and injury healing and, and things like that. But there's also a massive fitness component of this. So I wanted to just cover that for the fitness enthusiasts out here. One thing you did when you came over uh, the other day was we did the bicep workout with no weights using the the training mode on here, right? And I have no weights in my hands. We put the electrodes on my on my biceps, and then I'm doing curls with zero weight, and it's like I have sixty pounds in my hand or whatever. You know, just insane. And you told me you're like you're probably going to be sore tomorrow, and I'm like I don't know. I do curls all the time. I'm never sore sore as hell <laughs> the next day or the day after whenever it was so i think that was really interesting so how i guess are athletes using this modality for you know for peak performance and fitness one of the things that that we talked about a little bit was how we can preferentially contract or relax muscles here and on the therapeutic side we most commonly are doing more of the 
relax, where we're bypassing contraction, sending a lot more of that, that sensory neurological input. However, we can shift some of the settings as part of what's in one of our patents and you know, part of the special sauce here is that we can shift some of the settings to create more muscle contraction and increase recruitment. So you can actually get the benefits of, of weightlifting, for example. So like if you were just doing a bicep curl with, with no weight in your arm at all, you know, moving just the weight of your forearm and your hand is not much. You could do this all day and, and not feel, you could do hundreds of these and not feel a ton of fatigue, not be sore, probably not get a ton of, of effect or depletion or breakdown of muscle or anything like that. But if you have a weight in your hand, the difference is that to move that weight, it forces you to recruit more muscle fibers to create more tension to, to create enough force to, to overcome the force of gravity on that weight. And what we're doing at those settings when we did your arm workout is we're actually using the newbie, using that signal to increase recruitment. So you're getting a lot of the benefit. You're getting a lot of the muscle recruitment. And a lot of the benefits is if you were lifting heavy weights, but without having to lift those weights and not put as much strain on your joints, not have as much risk of injury. And so for people who are recovering from injury, for people who lack the mobility to get into certain positions or for whom it wouldn't be safe to, to load up with traditional resistance exercise, or for athletes who are at certain points in the season where they need some strength stimulus to maintain, but they don't necessarily want to load up with a heavy bar and do squats and deadlifts or things like that. There's applications here where you can do this. And uh, one of our first peer-reviewed published journal articles talks about how or shows that you actually get a similar effect in muscle from using the newbie like we did with no weight compared to using 75 or 80% of your one rep max. So a weight that you could do eight to 10 times, for example. That's crazy, dude. You get a similar effect there. So so what's really cool about that, and I think you touched on this, was like there's, I think, less or maybe no risk of injuring yourself from moving outside of your range of motion, right? And that's why I like, you know, the X3 bar, I have that in the backyard, the ARX machine. I like these things where you can really push yourself in terms of resistance training, but it's almost impossible to injure yourself or like, you know, bust a joint because you, you're in the range of motion and you can't really move out of that. Is that the case here where, you know, it's, it's much safer, but you, if, if you crank this thing way up in training mode, I mean, you could get where like you can barely move, but it's not like you're going to snap a tendon or something, right? So exactly. So, so it's safer in that regard, but it's, there's also, you know, there's trade-offs to everything in life. And here with great power comes great responsibility. Quote, good quote from, from <laughs> Spider-Man, right? So here, like we only did two minutes worth of curls. You know, maybe we did 50 movements or something like that, you know, whatever the number was, we did about two minutes worth of just you bending and straightening your arm. And I said, even though you're not going to feel fatigue now, and even though it doesn't feel like you, you may not feel like you did that much, you know, in two days, you're probably going to be sore and, and you were. So that with great power comes great responsibility. We, want, we, want, we don't want to like make you debilitatingly sore for a whole week. And so we want to choose an effective dose. Uh, and so there with, with exercise, you know, it's like medicine. You have, you choose the exercise, which is like choosing the medicine. Then you choose the dose, the dose and the timing. And here, we want to make sure that we, we start with that, you know, just two or three minutes in the beginning, see how you respond, see how sore you get, make sure you recover effectively from that, make sure you, you know, treat it like a workout. So you're, 
you're hydrating, you're getting enough amino acids in so you can rebuild, you're getting enough sleep, all those sorts of things. You know, limiting alcohol because that can be I'm problematic. I've got a that couple can... of those. I've got great sleep. I've got my key, my Keon aminos. There you go. And I haven't had a drink in 25 years, sir. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so I could just go nuts, in other words. So you could. So maybe now you can go from two minutes to, to three minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but I mean, that the the positive side of that is you can get you know all you need for your arms, your biceps and triceps in in two or three minutes worth of work. You can do this, you know, a really quick, efficient workout for for strength and hypertrophy. You know, in the, the second study, we looked over the course of a whole training cycle and saw similar muscle growth over it was either six or eight weeks similar muscle growth compared to using using the newbie with no weight compared to again you know 75 or 80% of one rep max traditional resistance exercise so you can get that done in just you know just a few minutes per body area which is the the plus side the time efficiency and the safety and then you know at the other side there's that point you just want to you want to be careful not to overdo it because it is you know it is a very powerful tool it needs to be respected yeah amen thank you for that I've literally never met anyone in my life who doesn't like a little sex from time to time. In fact, some folks like it a lot of the time. The thing is that for men, their physical readiness is an important part of making this happen. Remember the last time you were at the gas station and you saw on the counter those horribly branded erection pills? Did you ever take a second to see what's actually in those products? They are terrible for you, just super toxic. And the same goes for most of the medication on the market that claims to help men in the bed, but who wants a four-hour erection, nasty side effects, heart problems, and a possible trip to the hospital to get rid of that thing? Well, luckily for me and maybe some of the men listening, I recently found this really cool product called Joy Mode that fills this gap. It's a performance booster, much like a pre-workout, but for sex. It's really cool. Joy Mode's gig is that they make natural and science-backed sexual wellness supplements for men. Their sexual performance booster is designed to support erection quality and firmness and sex drive. It contains clinically supported doses of L-citrulline, arginine, yohimbine, and vitamin C. To get yourself primed with the old joy mode, all you do is tear open the sachet and mix it with a glass of water, just like your favorite electrolytes. And uh, about 45 minutes later, it's going to be magic time. You'll notice better blood flow, better erection quality and firmness, and increased sexual energy and drive. I've actually taken this product myself many times, and uh, frankly, I was shocked that it actually worked and provided zero side effects. Do you gentlemen want to spice things up in the bedroom and boost your sexual performance? And do you want to do it naturally without those nasty prescription drugs? Well, we've got a special offer for lifestylist listeners right here. Go to usejoymode.com slash Luke and enter the code Luke at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's usejoymode.com slash Luke. I do want to do a little demo for the people that are watching on video. And for those that are not watching on video and you're, and you're just listening to this, you can go to lukestory.com slash Garrett. G-A-R-R-E-T-T. And we're going to put all the things we talked about in those show notes. And there, for you listening, you'll also find a link to the video. So if you are listening to this whole audio and you want to see a little of this action, you can go to those show notes and find it. But I thought it'd be cool to do a little of the uh, the scanning, the diagnostic. I mean, we won't be able to do as much as we would in a real training session with you or another practitioner, but people can kind of get the idea of what we're talking about. 
Because I know if I was listening to this, I would be annoyed because I would want to see it. What does the freaking thing look like? How does it work? So maybe you want to do that? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. And in the last couple minutes we have. Oh, and also uh, let's give a shout out to your book here um, on my camera, which is called The New Fit Method. And thank you for bringing that over. So hopefully my editors catch that shot. And uh, you've got some, you do have some really good uh, endorsements here on the back. Terry Walls, Dave Asprey, a couple of heavy hitters there. Thank you for bringing that. And for people, obviously, that want to learn more, I'm assuming everything you just talked about is in here at even greater depth, right? Yeah, absolutely. It talks about some of these, these really powerful principles of neuroscience and then how to apply those in daily practice for sports injuries, for recovering from surgery, chronic pain, some of these neurological injuries or diseases, and then fitness and optimization and, and how to track and monitor, monitor the health of the nervous system over time too. So. Cool. Cool. And uh, I saw this on your site. People can get it there too, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. All right. Rad. All right. So we want to remember, we want to have a, uh, an electrical circuit, which means we want to have two points of contact. So can I, uh, maybe put this on your, on your low back again, just out of the way. Yep. I think we did there. All right. Right. So that's our point of contact. And then your scanning is going to be done with the little wet sponge. That's right. That's right. So, so does that, yeah. does the, does that act as like a ground? The one exactly, you put on my yeah, back? Okay. An electrical ground. You need to have, you know, a positive negative. When we were doing your back, for example, we were scanning around on your back. So now if we're looking at your arm, I'm going to do this process, same sort of thing where I'm going to turn it up to a, we'll call it a nice medium level. So that, you know, four or five out of 10, not uncomfortable at all. Okay. Just like we did. The last time we were together here. I'm feeling that out on my lower back. Okay. I'm feeling both. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So one to 10, how would you rate that if you had to put a number on that right there? Uh, six to seven. All right, I'm going to back yeah. off a little bit. So six would be like a little hint of where it's a little bit uncomfortable. Barely, yeah. Okay. Let me yeah. back off till no discomfort there. So I backed off a few points. No discomfort there. We down to like, what would you call that? Five. Okay. Four or five, yeah. Okay. That's where we want to be. So, so yeah. now what we're going to do is we're going to scan over scan over your body like this. So if people are, if you're not watching, I'm dragging this electrode over, over Luke's forearm here. And there's essentially three things that we're looking for. So one is just like this, where it's, it's buzzing, not uncomfortable at all. That's just, you're getting the sensation of the signal here. And what that's essentially saying is your brain is seeing that and saying, oh, that's just Luke being Luke. Like nothing to worry about. There's some stimulation happening, but it's within our kind of safety window. Nothing to be alarmed about. Sure. We may, we may go over an area, like we may go here where we see, your, see a contraction. Like yeah. see if that, does that make your, makes your, makes your muscle contract a little bit? Yep, yep. If you weren't holding on here, maybe the arm would bend a little bit. Oh yeah, it made you yeah. kind of, yeah. made you kind of uh, supinate your forearm a little yeah. bit. So when your biceps start to contract. So if we see contraction, you know, we go over a motor point where the nerve is closer to the skin. It may, it may contract, but what we want to distinguish here, or what we want to do is try to distinguish is that just contraction or is that actually uncomfortable? So I want to ask you that question. Is that just contraction or is it actually uncomfortable? Just uh, contraction. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do then is, is scan around and look for the third possibility here. So we had mm-hmm. some, you know, some buzzing, not uncomfortable. I had some contraction, not uncomfortable. We want to look around and see if there's any spots where it is alarming, where we scan over an area and either because you're guarding and protecting there or your brain's trying to limit output there or it's hypersensitive and has some of these these perceptions of threat that would lead to chronic pain potentially. If, if we stimulate any of those areas, your brain is going to see that and say, oh shit, you know, that's either new because that's more signal than we've seen from there recently, or we're stimulating an area where there's that protection or hypersensitivity. 
So if we stimulate any of those areas, your brain is going to see that and that perception effect is going to trigger pain like we talked about earlier. So it, it's going to be, you know, it'll feel kind of like a trigger point or something like that. But, mm-hmm. but where it's actually uncomfortable or alarming or threatening, we want to look around and find, find one of those spots. So we'll scan around and see, see if we find any of those here. <laughs> right there. Yeah. So it's contracting, but is yeah. it actually uncomfortable also? Based on um, your body language, it seemed like it may have been. A little but, bit, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, definitely just contracted yeah. in a pronounced way. Okay. So if it went to, uh, if it was like a four or five, did it go up at all in that? Yeah, to like a, a seven probably, yeah. Okay. yeah. So that's the most so far. Ow! Oh, right oh. there. Now that is, ah, yeah, okay. yeah. So that lateral tricep. Oh, boy. What'd that get to? The nine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that is. See, that's so interesting because you go up and down the whole arm with your electrode there. Eh, like you said, just. You notice it, but it's not uncomfortable. You get there, and it's like, oh, that really hurts. So that's a little bit Pins of that, and needles. A little bit of that brachioradialis, a little bit of the lateral tricep, potentially. A little bit of Apple trackpad for <laughs> way too many years, too many Do you hours. have any, any issues in your elbow? Any? I have had some, uh, you know, tennis elbow kind of uh-huh. stuff going on there. Okay. Uh, did some PRP on it years ago that improved it a lot. So it's it's not chronic now, but it comes and goes. Yeah. Okay. So let's find that. Yeah, right there, right there. Blah, blah. Ooh, All right. holy so we, crap. So we found that now. Let me grab this <sighs> pad from... I wish I could give everyone listening the opportunity to feel that. <laughs> that felt like. It's hard to describe. All right, so... So now he's putting the, the actual... What do you call this? Uh, electrode or pad. Okay, pad. he's putting the electrode, the sticky one now, mm-hmm. uh, on that exact spot. So so let me see. Let me just see if we're on the on the right spot there. Is that the right spot? Ooh, that yeah, that right. hurts. Okay, yeah. So we're on that. We're on that area. So okay. you know, of course, if we're doing a full evaluation, you know, like we did the first time, we could you know we could scan your whole torso, your whole upper body, your whole body. Mm-hmm. But but just for demonstration purposes, we found that spot. Uh, let me just compare real quick. What's going to be more uncomfortable between that combination there and this one here? Oh, the first one for first sure. One, okay, yeah. All right, so let's so let's so go with that. did you put this sticky electrode on the exact spot where I was feeling the most reaction? Exactly. Okay, yeah. Okay. So what, what we're going to do here for the treatment, we'll do a little miniature, little quick, quick demo. Cool. With the treatment here, I'm turning it down as we as we place this okay. pad here. Thank but. you for that. <laughs> I, I've learned that the hard way a few times. <laughs> yeah. Right. So so now I want to turn it up here for the treatment. I want to go outside your comfort zone. I want to elicit that same response where, you know, where it feels, it feels uncomfortable because you know, sometimes in life we have to be outside our comfort zone in order to, to make change, to cause sure. adaptation. But it's not excruciating. It's not a 10 out of 10. So tell me when we're at a, a 7 or 8 where it's productively uncomfortable, okay. where we're essentially eliciting that same type of reaction that we had when we were, mm-hmm. when we were scanning. Okay. Yeah, right there is pretty, pretty intense but tolerable. Okay. Yeah. It feels like it's getting in that, that kind of painful mm-hmm. area there. It is. And the interesting thing is like when you're doing the scan, because it's going over, there's contrast between the areas that aren't very reactive mm-hmm. and then you hit that spot. It's like sudden impact. Mm-hmm. But when you have the electrodes on here and then you're dialing up the intensity, I find I'm able to kind of surrender into it and allow it to be more intense. Good. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And that's, that's a good thing. Because um, there's no contrast. The whole thing's just right. now, right? right? You're not, it's not chill and then, ah, not chill. <laughs> yeah. It's that, yeah, that, that's less of like uh, kind of shock and surprise because you're, you yes. have it on there more consistently. Yeah. 
So that allows us to go higher on the machine and it allows us to have this, this adaptation process. So let's actually have you do a few, just flex, flex and extend, do a few kind of circles of the elbow there. Here, let me just get this, these wires okay. here. What we're going to do here is we're, going to, we're stimulating the areas where we found that hypersensitivity, that greater, you know, more reactivity, sense of protection, whatever, whatever it was there. We're stimulating that area and also having you try to move through it. We're having you move for a couple of reasons. One is that if there's any sort of deficit in activity of those muscles, you're going to learn to start incorporating them into your movement patterns again so we can accelerate that process of neuromuscular re-education. Another thing that we're going to do is through moving, especially moving your joints, you're creating a lot of other neurological input to your brain. And so it allows your brain to more clearly see that area, increase that sense of proprioception, reduce the perception of threat in that area. And that allows you to reduce the perception of threat associated with the signal from the machine, where initially you had that really elevated perception of threat. You were fighting against it. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. As you downregulate that, and movement helps you do that, as you downregulate that, you're actually reducing the perception of threat in that area, which is going to mean you're going to be doing less, holding less, less tension there or less inhibition. Sometimes we think about in order to get stronger, we have to like, you know, tap, hit down on the throttle harder of the car or build a bigger engine. Sometimes we just have to take our other foot off the brake right. so that we can use the muscle or use the power that's already there. So disinhibition is like taking your foot off the brake or like turning off the, the governor that's limiting the force output there. And so this allows us to do that, to that change those neurological sense. patterns. That makes perfect sense. That's what's, you know what I just realized today too, that you're, the way you spell it, the N-E-U-B-I-E, it's like neurology. Yeah. <laughs> I never caught that. Yeah. Yeah. Neurobioelectric. I was like, why didn't he just spell it N-E-W? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, right. Neurobiology. So cool. Yeah. Uh, so, so now that you've adapted to it, it's based on your body language, it seems like it's easier it's to handle. Totally right? chill now. So let's go up just one more time ah, and repeat that process. <laughs> no, man, it's okay. still it's still painful. <laughs> oh yeah, Ooh, that'll get your attention. All right, good. So we went up four points on here. Ooh, so four wow. volts, about four milliamps of current. We increased there. So what we're what we're likely, what what I'm likely feeling here is some inflammation that could be a a, a gradient of tendonitis or something. So there right. can be there can be some of that. I mean, what what you're really feeling here, I think we we have to go back to those basics of your what you're feeling is pain, and pain is always in our brains, right? If someone says right. pain is in your head, you can say, yeah, it is for me and for everybody else. Right. So you're experiencing that as a response to perceived threat because of the load that we're placing on this area of the body, and so mm -hmm. we need to teach you to start accepting that to allow more function, more length, more strength, etc. in that area. And so if there's a lack in that length or strength or function, that could lead to some of those tendonitis symptoms or the, the tennis elbow, epicondylitis, whatever it is type of symptoms. But what you're feeling here is most likely a you know, brain response to the perceived threat of loading these, these muscles here and trying to challenge the function of these areas. Got it. Feels good. I mean, I don't know if, am I like psycho that I think it feels good or do other people have that experience too? Because when I put on Allison, she's like, ah, too much, you know? I don't think she perceives it to be like pleasurable. So there's, well, there's differences. I it's mean, like getting like, a massage, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like, like you talked about, you know, the differences in how people experience pain, but, but really the difference in how people experience sensation overall. So we'll turn mm -hmm. that, turn that down there. Okay. Some people, yeah, some people like massage. Some people like being touched. Some people don't really like being touched. Right. And that can have to do with all sorts of different, you know, associations, you know, experiences, you know, things going on, whatever. 
But the nice thing about this is that there's a power dial. And so, you know, you can be up in the 30s or 40s and Allison might be in, you know, the teens or 20s. And well, that, you both can get what you need. That's what's cool that the way this is designed, you have you have two channels, right? Each channel obviously has two to it. So there's four total for those watching. But you could be doing a therapy session or a workout with another person and you each have your own independent whole situation going on, which is kind of cool. That's right. It's actually a fun like couples thing. Yeah. You know, looking forward to doing it more with her, you know. Yeah. My wife and I we do that at you home. Do? We do some, some couples training for that's sure. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. That's like, you know, always looking for more interesting novel ways to spend time to one, with one another. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's like the days over we end up just watching TV and I'm always like, ah, this is such a waste of doing something together. We could yeah. be doing something more fun. Yeah. And if you can do something cool. that you like doing anyway, if you like working out or something, you know, yeah. to be able to share that together is a good good way to bond. Totally cool. Well I'm glad we got to uh I'm glad we got to do that little demo and I hope people were able to to see the video because how does your elbow feel right now? You know it feels awesome actually. I was gonna say that right when you pull the electrodes off, it's like it feels like I got a massage. Mm-hmm. I mean that's how I kind of always describe this this type of um therapy yeah it's just like everything's kind of looser and you can feel blood flow in there it feels like there's a concentration of energy mm-hmm. kind of warm yeah more fluid it's just so cool dude you created something so awesome thank you for doing it thank you for coming by to share it with with me and all the listeners tuning into this yeah i just i don't know i just never seem to get sick of discovering cool stuff like this and the fun part for me and i'm so blessed to be able to actually meet the people behind it you know and then broadcast your discoveries out to the world i appreciate it i mean to be able to come on this podcast with all the you know great topics you've covered and great guests you've had and be able to share our message is just really wonderful so i'm grateful to you and and the work that you're doing and love being here and, and thanks brother. glad you're in austin now too thanks brother me too <laughs> everyone cool is here i was so stoked i was driving down where are you guys on b caves road uh, 360 right, oh, right near 360. Yeah, yeah i was driving i was like there's a new fit <laughs> and that that's we alice and i came in there i mean I, I i met you here but i didn't put it together that your like corporate spot was here and for people in austin too they can come train at your main location too yeah we have yeah. uh currently five physical therapists and, and five trainers so we're working with people you know, neurological injuries, sports injuries, you know, people who want, want to work on, on fitness or elite athletic performance. We kind of, we use it as our, certainly, you know, a way to, to serve people in the community. Also teaching facilities. So we'll have clinicians, you know, people coming in from around the country to learn and observe. We use it to, to test new protocols and, you know, try to work and innovate. Um, so, you know, we're doing some cool stuff there and working with, with people for a wide variety of challenges injuries all all sorts of stuff but it's, it's a cool spot a great, i was surprised yeah. to find that it was um like there's so much gym equipment in there i mean it's essentially like a gym that has incorporated this technology which i wasn't expecting there's people in there like working out with this thing attached to them you know it's pretty cool and and the, it's cool because you know people will be doing physical therapy and then they look across and they see people working out it's kind of like aspirational too it's like hey i can do that right you, know? you have someone that's like got an injury or this you know needs real help and then there's a pro athlete across the way from them just crushing it yeah (laughs) that could be really sad or inspiring (laughs) depending on the kind of mindset you have true um who have been three teachers that have influenced your life that you'd like to share with us before we go that is that is such a good question so the um i think about it in terms of of categories one jumps out at me as 
a teacher who, who first showed me the power of physiological psychology, like we talked about here today and how body position can inform your psychology or all these different things. And also taught me was kind of my, the role model that comes out to me when I think about how I want to be in the world. So it's a man in his seventies named Jamin McMillan, who has a, a discipline called spatial dynamics. And he's still, you know, at age 70 plus powerful, strong, flexible moves with grace, has a wonderful presence. And I went through his certification program. So I was with him multiple times a year for several years back 10, 15 years. It was over a period of a few years. So you know, it was a long time ago, but he is to me kind of a bright shining light example of what it is to, to live your kind of highest values and truths over a long period of time. And just the accumulated wisdom, the way that he showed up in the world, the way that he taught other people in, you know, in his certification program was just such a good role model for me. And, and the material around physiological psychology and movement therapy influenced me a lot. Um, so he's one that jumps out. Uh, my first, first mentor around that same time that, that really showed me the functional neurology is a guy named Dr. John Piedla has a system called NeuroTarget. He was the first one to really show me the power of, of applying neuroscience into daily practice and how it can affect outcomes and really show me, kind of open up my mind to the possibility of what a nervous system first approach can do. And then teachers wise, I think another category, so I've got kind of how, you know, how I show up in the world, that one jumps out, you know, a lot of the neuroscience and work that I do. I think about some of the kind of spiritual life business stuff. I think two jump out there, you know, I've learned with through, through books, David Data, The Way of the Superior Man, that book, jumps out because it, it helped me early on in my career understand that, you know, as a man, the masculine part of me is really fulfilled by creating impact and influence in the world and having that kind of sense of direction out there is what really energizes me and that that's okay. And that, you know, my then girlfriend, now wife, is is you know motivated the the feminine part of her is is energized and enlivened by different sorts of things by the flow of energy and love in in relationships and things like that. Also, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Also, in the oh, relationship, so good. Both <laughs> John <those>. Gray. <laughs> yeah, I've interviewed John Gray a number of times. I yeah. learned some. I use his stuff all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, this house and the peace you feel here is uh, he's partly responsible for that. Yeah. So yeah, those really, those have really had both impact. Both of those. Yeah. yeah. You and, know, David Data. He doesn't. He doesn't do podcasts. I tried to get him back in the day, and he, I think it even says on his website like. We don't do interviews, don't even try. Mm -hmm. But his, his, one of his protege, John Wineland, who just moved here to Austin, actually, he's been on a few times with that same model. Really useful. Yeah. Yeah, really. Um, it's cool that you mentioned both those. They've impacted me a lot as well. Awesome. And then yeah. on, the, on the topic of relationships, I mean, just in that same category, I think my wife and our marriage has been a great teacher for me. And they're you know, learning the value of different attributes and different perspectives, you know, sometimes, you know, she and I will look at things differently. You know, she works in, in the business with us. She's our, our chief operating officer. So in business and at home, you know, we'll look at things differently. And sometimes that creates tension because you all think, you know, why don't you see it this way? Or you know, how, how, yeah. how can you, but learning, I'll say to grow through conflict, I don't, you know, some conflict, some tension. I don't necessarily mean like fighting conflict, but mm -hmm. learning to grow through that, but all, and then learning, the value of different perspectives about how looking at things through different lenses, using different attributes, you know, being 
having more, having a lot logic and emotion, having big picture and more detail oriented, kind of having that more complete perspective allows us to really, you know, be a team and arrive at better conclusions and decisions together and, and help kind of guide each other, you know, so learned a lot there too. So those are the ones that jump out at me. I've had a lot of wonderful mentors and teachers along the way in school, through books, in workshops. I've learned a lot from, you know, the people that we, that we work with, the, the practitioners that, that have these devices. You know, we, we collaborate and find ways together to take this to even new levels and help even more people. So there's a lot of them, but uh, those are the first ones that jump Thanks. out. Thanks, I appreciate it. You far exceeded the three that I requested. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, they'll get to one and they're like, I don't know, man, I can't think of any more. And then others are like, oh, there's too many. No, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. And yeah, I'm excited to share what you do with the world. So thank you so much for coming by today. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, my attentive, curious, open-minded, and intelligent friends, that concludes another information storm on The Lifestylist. I'm your grateful host, Luke Story from lukestory.com, and I am just ecstatic that you decided to spend your time with me today. I mean, you could have been anywhere, but you weren't. You were here with us, and for that, I love each and every one of you. And I'm never one to disappoint, so uh, next week's show is sure to be a listener favorite. We've talked a lot about breathwork over the years, yet somehow I've yet to do a show solely devoted to this life-changing practice, and I am thrilled to finally get it done. So set your dial for episode 459 next week. It's called The Power of Breathwork for Energy, Sleep, Healing, and Spiritual Awakening with Other Ships, Robbie Bent. It's going to be a good one. And remember, if you were intrigued by Garrett's new fit system or technology, make sure to check out new.fit slash Luke. That's N-E-U dot F-I-T slash Luke, where you can find a local practitioner or even get one for yourself if you happen to be a physical therapist or just a health nut like me. By using that code, you'll save yourself $1,000 off a newbie. All right, you guys, I'll see you next week with Robbie Bent.